This podcast comes to you from nerdsthegeek.com. So bad. Like, I knew within within like five seconds I was not ready for what we were watching. You're like, God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration podcast where four friends get together and talk about talking about things. <laughs> I'm your host, the man who won't stop talking to his fiance when she's just trying to sleep, Scott Murray. <laughs> I'm joined today by my friends, a man holding a gas can and asking you for a match, Joel Lewis. <laughs> That's extra suspicious. <laughs> a man in the background of all your dreams, even though you haven't met him, Tim Gerard. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and the man very much regretting getting into the boat car, Zeke Perez. <laughs> Love it. Hello. <laughs> the boat car that is movie mumble. <laughs> Immediate boat car. Five minutes in. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Movie Bumble is just a monthly film discussion podcast where we all take turns picking a movie, watching it, and then talking about it. There are no rules. You can pick any movie you like, whether it's old or new, foreign or domestic, animated or live action, a film you've seen a million times or never seen before. Uh, at the end of each episode, we announce what we're watching next month, so you can watch along with us if you'd like. And we do spoil everything we watch, so if you're concerned about that sort of thing, watch a movie before listening to its episode. This month, Tim was our film selector, and Tim brought us the 2001 Richard Linklater film, Waking Life. Do you want to jump in a little to, you know, how you found the film? How dare you, first of all? Just how how dare? How dare you? Joel wants to jump in. (laughs) That's fair. That's fine. That's all I have to say is how dare you? It's probably been conveyed in the cold open or whatever whatever form that has taken this time. But how dare you? <laughs> I watched this on Friday night. It was supposed to be nice. <laughs> so, Shook it. Yeah. So, so I don't know how much of this I mentioned. Uh, I might be repeating myself when I mentioned it sort of last podcast when I announced it. But um, <clears throat> so this is another one from my sort of post-undergrad working at Blockbuster time period of my life, you know, and uh, yeah, like very much into philosophy, kind of questioning the nature of life and reality. You know, this is, you know, all pulled together with like the Matrix and Pi and Fight Club. You know, it was that sort of that period, all those films kind of stuck together. Um, you know, and what that was the thing was when I worked at Blockbuster, there were a lot of other people in a, in a similar boat to me, you know, creative individuals that, you know, wanted to 
either be involved in like film or art or, you know, writing in, in some way, shape or form. And that kind of drew us all together. And that's kind of a lot of why, uh, you know, we discovered a lot of these types of films and kind of passed them around, watched them together. Um, and uh, yeah, it was interesting because I, I had forgotten about this film for a while because, um, you know, I've talked about, you, you know, Christopher Nolan. I kind of discovered him around that time. I discovered Darren Aronofsky around that time. Um, you know, that was around when Memento had come out and um, uh, Pi. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. So sorry. That was when Requiem for a Dream came out. So it was like the two of their second films that got them a little more notoriety than their first films. And that was this, the, the case with this film too, with Richard Linklater, his first film, I think was uh, slacker. Um, but I hadn't seen that until after the fact. And so, so it was all these kind of directors that, that yeah, were kind of making films that weren't quite the sort of norm summer blockbuster, romantic comedy action with explosion. You know, there were a lot of these films that had started popping up and um, maybe it was just that at the time I was becoming more aware of directors of filmmakers, you know, in particular, as opposed to just seeing a film because of like the actors who were in it or whatever, you know, which I feel like, I, you know, I think we've had this discussion with comic books before, you know, when you're a kid, uh, you know, I was very much into comic books because of the characters. And as I got older, it was more about the artists than, than about the writers, you know, like what are the stories that are being told, even if they're with characters I don't really care about. So it was kind of that way with films too. So, um, but I feel like I, I kind of forgot about uh, Richard Linklater for a while because I think, you know, he, he did, school of rock which was you know probably his best known film but i also feel like not the thing he's that's that's best known as being one of his films you know because it's very different from his other stuff that he's you know and i think he he didn't write school of rock he just directed it but i think a lot of the stuff that he wrote and directed is you know very similar and um i feel like he hadn't done as much of that whereas like i feel like uh, you know, Christopher Nolan and Darren Aronofsky have stayed on our radar. You know, they've been kind of doing bigger budget stuff, but it's always got their name plastered on it. Whereas with School of Rock, it was way more about Jack Black than it was about Richard Linklater, you know, that type of thing. Um, so anyway, that's kind of how it, it 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 came to me. And it was definitely, it was, it was actually cool too. I had forgotten. Uh, so my subscription to HBO had expired and I haven't felt like renewing it yet. So I was like, oh, but I have the DVD. And the DVD I have actually has like a Blockbuster sticker on it because I bought it used from the Blockbuster I worked at. So so that was like an extra layer of the nostalgia was to first of all, pull out a DVD instead of go to a streaming service, but also to see the little Blockbuster security tag sticker and be like, wow, this is like legit Blockbuster um so yeah even just like touching a disc it's so weird we, you know we don't we don't handle things like that so much anymore um but uh but yeah so that's that's sort of how it how it came into my life and and it was definitely like i said uh you know at a time where i was like questioning the nature of everything so it was very much one of my favorite films at the time um but i kind of you know Usually, like, that's sort of the thing is, like, I'll have a favorite film and then I'll follow that director. What are they doing next? What are they doing next? And kind of pile on top of it. And, you know, like we've done in the past with my, you know, favorite picks of Aronofsky and stuff like that. And um, But, like, yeah, I, I feel like it didn't happen as much with Richard Linklater. And then I think it was when I saw the trailer to Apollo 10 and a half, which... Um, uh uh scott you could probably confirm i think that's also him too like i yes. forgot i forgot also, I, yeah either also rotoscopes yeah. so yeah so so i looked it up and i remember seeing oh that was but then i like forgot i was like was that actually him and and there's been other things like that along like he also did uh scanner darkly too right which which he didn't write that that's a philip k dick story 
Um, but it has the same rotoscoping, like filmed with actual people, but then drawn over. Um, and just, I, I also want to point out, because this was an amazing series on Amazon Prime. It's a, a series called Undone, which I don't think that I looked it up. I don't think he was involved in that at all, but it is the same rotoscoping technique. So the the, the imagery is very similar and it deals with kind of this slightly dreamy alternate reality messing with time and reality kind of thing so it, it, the visuals work really well too it's with um uh um what's her name uh i can't the one who played alita battle angel what's that actress's name oh uh uh uh, uh, uh rosa salazar rosa salazar yeah so she's in it and bob odenkirk is in it and it's like a serious role for him um so it's kind of interesting to see him as like, he's actually her place, her father. So he's, you know, it's very kind of like straight for him, but uh, it's an amazing series. There are like a few seasons and it's weird. I feel like Amazon always does that where each season is its own thing. So you'd never know, but there are like multiple seasons. If you're going to watch it, make sure you check that out. Um, but yeah, so seeing the trailer to Apollo 10 and a half is what reminded me of this film. And it's like, that's right. We should do that for the podcast. So Joel, you can thank, um, <laughs> you can thank that trailer. <laughs> for me bringing this to you trailers get up my life once again just <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah so it, so and i might as well just go into the plot a little bit because it's not a, a, a you know it's basically this this young man and he's he's kind of stuck in a dream and keeps thinking he's waking up but then kind of still feels like he might still be in a dream and he's having all these conversations or or, or witnessing conversations a lot of times he's not involved in the conversation but you know, it, it keeps cutting back to moments of him waking up, but then realizing he's still in a dream and he's going through the whole film, kind of trying to wake up and, you know, getting more so like, you know, confused by the situation and frustrated. And, you know, and, you know, I guess we can talk about the ending where we're, you know, towards the end after we've discussed the other part of it, but sort of as far as like why he can't wake up. And, um, and the whole nature of the film is pretty much like that, where you're like when you're in a dream and you're just kind of plopped in on some conversation and you don't know the people, but they look familiar, but they also look really weird and warped, <laughs> you know, it's that, that type of thing. So it's, it's, it's really cool. Again, there's no real, real big plot. There's no real story you have to follow, but it just gives you this whole sense of, you know, you're kind of stuck in a dream um un until the end <laughs> very nice thank you thank you mm -hmm. um for the rest of us have you seen any other link later films i mean I, I presume we've all seen school of rock at some point right yeah that's the only one I was gonna say school of rock um what's the other one? uh boyhood China. boyhood yeah boyhood, i haven't that? seen okay, uh, no. no i just brought it up confused Oh yeah, Days mm, that Refuse. That was one of the others that yeah. I feel like a lot of people that have seen, but mm -hmm. uh, before midnight, before sunrise, before sunset trilogy. No, I think I saw the the first two of those. I feel like I haven't seen the whole trilogy. Sure. Yeah. And where did you go, Bernadette? Oh, I've seen where did you go, Bernadette, because I read the book. Um, and it's oh, not very different than I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Zeke. Yeah, you read the book. You said oh. Bernadette. Yeah, and the movie felt. Uh, I mean, because it was based on that book, felt very different than the other stuff of his that I've seen, mm -hmm. uh, that which is not sense, a lot. But sure. yeah, um, Bad News Bears, the two thousand and five, oh, yeah, one, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, School of Rock for me. That's it. <laughs> um, you know, not that I've been avoiding these, but I, I mean, you're kind of right, Tim. Like, none of these had Linklater's name on them except Apollo Ten and a Half. 
mm. right? They were otherwise just sort of advertised as the film, mm-hmm. which is so weird. But relative to the rotoscoping, you know, the animation techniques used here, the whole film you mentioned, Tim, had this wobbly quality. Is mm-hmm. that, I haven't seen a Scanner Darkly or Apollo 10 and a half, his other two big rotoscoped films. Are you, you haven't seen Apollo, but is a Scanner Darkly like that? Because on the one hand, it would totally make sense for it to be. I've read the Philip K. Dick story, and it mm-hmm. totally should be, right? But on the other hand, I wasn't sure if that was a quality of the dream setting of this film or something he was doing with the rotoscoping. So so here, th- I actually had watched one of the special features years ago, and here's one of the sort of cool things that he mentioned is that like the the, the way you can do it in the computer is like, say you have a background, right? And there are like a bunch of buildings behind you. Um, part of what he had said is that instead of like redrawing the building on every frame, what you can do is kind of draw the building, you know, trace around the building. And then it's like, if that building is there in the shot, you know, for however long you can basically go, you know, 10, 20, 30 frames in and then say, okay, this is this same building. And then with the software, it'll basically kind of superimpose that image and connect where those two, like, basically, you know, if, if the camera's moving because you're talking to a person, it'll say, oh, okay, okay, this frame the building's here, and this frame the building's here, and it'll gradually How kind does of it get those images out. Okay. But what you can do is you can do that in separate layers. So you could do one building independent of the other. So now these two buildings are moving independent of each other because in, in the one frame that you set this building up, okay, it's here and here. So that's going to gradually move here. But then if you go, you know, frame six to 15, we're doing this other building from here to here that's moving separately. Um, and yeah, you'll see that where like the back panels are moving in pieces, you know, and uh, yeah. so I think part of that was probably different separate pieces as separate layers. And then they yeah. all moved from A to B in different paths. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and cool. I think part of that was, you know, it did give it a more dreamy effect, but I think it was probably also, you know, budgetary, right? Like if you have sure. to draw over the entire, you know, the entire frame, every single frame, that's going to take a lot longer. Whereas if we, okay, let's take shortcuts on the background. So I wonder if like part of it was because of like artistic reasons, but also like, Hey, here's this cool effect we discovered when we are trying to make a shortcut, you know, again, if it's just a background building, that's not the main focus anyway. So I think what, from what I remember with Scanner Darkly, it is a lot cleaner, probably because they had a bigger budget, um, yeah. probably because they also did want the 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 people to look a little more realistic. Like you can, you know, I feel like in, in this version, you definitely see stylized versions of everybody and you kind of recognize them, but then you kind of lose them. Whereas like, you know, you can tell, you know, Keanu Reeves is Keanu Reeves. You can tell Robert Downey Jr. is Robert Downey Jr. You know, like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's much more, you know, Woody Harrelson's also in it, you know, like, so it is a lot cleaner, but there are, and I think they do more with, um, it's like, I remember there's a part where like Keanu Reeves is wearing like this suit that I think allows him to kind of sh- shape shift into anybody, yeah, but it's basically the suit he's wearing. Costume yeah. Things, yeah. And they'll kind of play with that, like the different colors that are like, so he's probably just wearing like a green screen or a blue screen suit. And then they're able to kind of superimpose whatever effects over that and change it into a different person and everything. So like they're kind of playing with the effects in a different way that way. But I, yeah, I think overall it does tend to be cleaner. Like it does, you know, I guess that's how I would describe it. Like it looks higher budget, you know, mm-hmm. where they had the time and the the resources to hire enough people to be like, we need to make this whole thing look kind of seamless and good. Yeah. 
Um, I'm sure there are probably moments like that in it where it's like, yeah, let's make this more trippy. Let's make everything wobbly. Um, but yeah, that was one of the things I thought was really cool that, you know, they could kind of do it that way. And, and yeah, you'll sometimes notice, yeah, like the different layers with the people. And sometimes the animation of the people is different because you can kind of animate each person as a separate layer, I think, so that those you know, things aren't kind of matching up together. And um, I think that's part of what also made it easier too, when you're kind of like, if you're doing any green screen stuff, like when the people are like floating away and stuff like that, it's like, oh yeah, well, we've already got this drawn background. That's just there. And we're just going to plop this person on top. And it's not like, you know, when you're trying to use other blue screen or green screen stuff where it's like, oh, okay, we got to make sure the effects it's like, oh, it's all drawn. It doesn't matter. Just plop them on top and everything. All right. Thank you. Cause that was, I, I was specifically sitting there thinking like, is this just part of the way rotoscoped films are? Or there's a part of this film in particular. Mm. And that actually really sums up my first impression pretty well. <laughs> into that segment there of it was hard to tell how much of this was I mean, it's film, right? The whole thing is constructed, obviously. But on the other hand, how much of it was constructed and how much of it was just sort of the initial pieces put into place and then the conversations going somewhere and Link later just going, Yeah, okay, sure. You know, we're going to take it. It felt like it could have been that kind of film where mm -hmm. the substance was candid and, and only the, you know, the starting positions, as it were, were arranged or where the entire film was arranged right down to every last word and breath. It was also upsettingly like a film, any film, not upsettingly, right? but I just, I've always kind of liked the idea of a film that's just a bunch of conversations like, like this meets My Dinner with Andre of just like it, it's just those those things the conversations people have when they're all hanging out in in the basement in the bar and whatever right all kind of crammed together to make this loosely connected anthology but it was never going to be like 100 percent philosophical analysis right in this this film that i imagined existed somewhere or might be made someday so to see it play out was uh i i don't know right not i don't have a word for it but intriguing, I suppose. But the mm. thing itself was just more like a journey you had to let wash over you. It was just a lot of information but presented to you kind of kind of without ego, kind of almost without intent even. Mm. Just to say, here, this is yours now. It's it is for you to do with as you like. I I guess I'll say I enjoyed it in that regard, right? <laughs> it, it, not, you know, just because it's not the type of thing you sit there and go, oh, that was such a fun story I just experienced. Like it was, was a thing that happened. I didn't hate it, but you know, I just kind of let it wash over me. Went from A to B, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, a lot of my thinking about this film has been struggling to find specific words. Mm -hmm. So with that, I'll stop talking and ask the others for their first impressions, please. What do you think, Zeke? You want to go? I mean, I, I'm torn because I want to. I know you have some stuff to say, but I feel like maybe you can be the finale. I, I, do you, do yeah, you want to take? I'll, it? I'll, I'll back clean up. I, I, I feel okay. like I, I, I have notes. I'm, I'm, I'll be okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, <laughs> okay. I already um, yelled at Tim. Like I, that's what I really <laughs> needed to do, and that's been documented. 
That was, that was my fear that you didn't send me a text message. You sent a recorded voice message. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me play that for the boys. Hang on. Hang on. Now that I've got real quick. Sorry. Yeah. This is with a real first first impression. Zika, that yeah. I, I got out of lessons at like at like five or six or something like that last night on Friday. And I was like, oh, I have a voice message from Joel. That's weird. <laughs> I want you to know in real time, buddy, that I started this waking life bullshit. <laughs> Getting way too high. We are 13 minutes in, and you, but thank you, but you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> That's my first impression. Proceed. <laughs> That's. I mean, I can't. I can't top that. <laughs> I was so mad. I was so mad. Um. Yeah. I. I mean. So I'll start by saying that. Um, stylistically, this is not like anything I've ever seen before. And I just want to let that sit for a minute because I, I think that's the most true, you know, way to summarize how I felt about it. Um, it really is very different, you know, not just the animation, but kind of just the approach and how that complements the animation and vice versa. Um, so, I, you know, I, I yeah thought it was new and fresh. I haven't seen Scanner Darkly or any of the other stuff. So it, to me, this was very new. Um, and I, 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 I'm, I'm back and forth too. Um, inversely, I was not at all high. And I was like, maybe if I was more high, <laughs> some of this would hit in a different way. <laughs> like, do you need to be on LSD for this? Do you need to be on the weed? What do you need to help you through this movie? Um, because I don't know, I, I liked it a lot. I felt like it was a really good vessel for those philosophical discussions. Um, and it made them so much more digestible, right? I think it was based on those conversations. They carried it. And I think the fact that it was animated helped, helped you through those and through how broken they were. Um, so I really appreciated that. It was almost like a documentary with how each conversation was framed. Each person came in um, and played their role in what they were talking about or what their expertise was or what particular piece of philosophy they were framing. So it did feel like a really nice, like I said, vessel for philosophical discussions. On the flip side, and I'm going to preface this from our pre-talk, that this is not at all a personal attack, but I think the more critical side of me would say that it was just a piece together, you know, kind of collage of people talking to feel smart and referencing different philosophers and, you know, talking about different studies or name dropping, you know, this train of thought or whatever, and just talking to feel very <laughs> smart and so part of it was like, I don't know if, I don't know, I don't like the TV talking down to me. <laughs> um, but I don't know. At the same time, though, it uh, it was also very much, when you boil it down, it was kind of conversations that you might have with a friend or, you know, when you're just hanging out, thinking about life and very deep things and kind of things you might say to other people. Um, so I did like that conversational tone. Um, more often than I didn't, I think. Um, and I like, I, I really like that it was philosophical, but still light, because I think there are a lot of other movies that do dive into philosophy, but do it in a way where you have to guess, you know, like, is that what they're trying to say? This was direct, right? It told you, you just were there for those conversations in very bite-sized chunks in very digestible chunks. And you were able to Relate it to your own dreams or your own thoughts on philosophy. So I, I liked a lot of that too. Um, yeah, yeah. It, for me, it's 
it's it's hard to unwrap this from like what college felt like and like what learning about philosophy and like rejecting Christianity and like trying to like, this is a, a, the, the genre that I'm thinking of is called buildings Roman. And it's a novel dealing with a person's formative years of spiritual education. Like Dickens does a whole bunch of these Oliver twist is like this, uh, great expectations and David Copperfield and all of these, like it's a Victorian thing, but like, it's, it's all of these like formative years. And this is very much like what it feels like trying to fill that spiritual void and understand the meaning of life and like the, the cultivation of what higher education could be and should be and should be as exciting as. And it was like, I watching it, I felt very, very pleased that I had done all of the philosophy stuff that I had done, like to be able to kind of like hook into it and like also like follow it all the way out of control and kind of get to leave it was like, Oh, that's funny that they go that far with this person. And this, like, I felt like it was very, cause initially it is very kind of like talking at you like dummy. Like it's very, very like, because he's kind of seeking the, the protagonist is seeking out this knowledge or at least being the receptacle for this knowledge. And it becomes more and more conversational, but also more prof- like, I, it's really interesting Tim that like, this kind of feels like a response in a way to Bronson. It's a very different kind of like assault on the, the, the form and the medium of film. Like it's, it's not, it's about stream of consciousness and kind of synaptic structure rather than something that's um, like three act structure. Right. And, and, it it was interesting to watch because I had seen Midnight Gospel, which is on Netflix right now, which is a total ripoff of this. Like though they, he whoever I can't remember the guy who runs that show, like Midnight Gospel, is uh, a really surreal, futuristic, like spacefaring animation with really deep kind of spiritualistic conversations, like that, that are being had in this one. But it, it's just really interesting to see. And within the five, first five minutes, I was like car sick, motion sick. I was like, oh God, this, like the visual style just was so assaulting and so cacophonous. It finally, like you could kind of sit into it and it, it normalized to a certain extent and it kind of goes wilder to kind of uh, uh, visually represent certain things and certain turmoils. But like it, it, it's such a clever form for these kind of conversations because i think if it i was reminded of my dinner with on or lunch like not it's dinner it's dinner with andre andre doesn't do lunch (laughs) we'll do lunch not with andre but like that definitely came to mind and i don't know that this would i feel like we would feel more assaulted by it more talked down to by it if it hadn't been through this this cartoonish I don't know. It disarms it to a certain extent. I, I don't know if it's just like a generation growing up on Sesame Street or something like the ed- edutainment aspect of like this form. And like, I, I love the the way that when they're speaking, I have it running in the background now, right now. I'm just watching them talk. And like, as they're discussing things, they're just like popping up into frame, visualizing. And then what they're saying, like at one point, somebody fills up with water and then flushes out of water as they're talking about water. And I just thought it was like, it gave you, 
I don't know if it's just my brain needs that different, like that, that, that number of focuses, but it was, it was enough to kind of over, overstimulate you, but then distract you at the same time with the score also, like there's the score and the Foley, the sound mixing and the, the way it, the visuals are kind of cobbled together, kind of give you this looser, you can kind of put the things down as you're moving along. It does, it, 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 it moves along that way. When I, when you first started, it felt like everything was going to stick to you and really be latchy and like, where's, what's the, where's the quiz at the end of this? You know, like it, 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 it feels, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like you could show people this instead of going to philosophy courses and you would get, you would get about what it's about and what <laughs> we're like. And if you like this, the, there's a million ways to go off of this. So I, I don't know. Like I, I, I entertaining, I wouldn't call it. I think in, 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 in intriguing like a very great way to kind of give a snapshot of a lot of thought about the meaning of life and our role and autonomy and all of that stuff like it but and it but it, it's it's very it's not even a syllabus like it doesn't feel like the ideas are loosely connected but as loosely as vignettes in a dream are there's not really the thesis or or the 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 reason that these things have been put together is not towards a, a thing, like a central thing. So it's, it's, it's more clumsily uh, uh, collaged in that way. It's not towards a, a satisfying end. So it, I think this is a good like snapshot. I don't, wouldn't call it a reading list, but like it's, it would be like here, <laughs> here's the, the, the paintball gun, like splat of like, here's philosophy and like the meaning of life. Is any of this, you like any of this? You can kind of go from here. Here's the big kind of splat of it. So all all of that, like it, it it's obviously it touches on stuff that I'm really sensitive about, like my fear of death and my existential dread about not continuing, and a lot of like why I think about philosophy and why I study it and kind of where it comes from in a response to not having Christianity in the same way. Like it it's so this felt like again, this is very much matrix, it's very much the Aronofsky stuff that we've watched, it's very much the, like that early stuff. And it, it, it's funny Tim, to see this. Cause like you and I have had all these existential conversations about stuff and it, it's, it's interesting to see, Oh, you had this too. Like it, it's comforting to see that you've had like more than one film that kind of got you to these things. It's not just the matrix, even though the matrix was the thing that fried your brain the best. I, it's cool to see all the building yeah. blocks of your <laughs> twisted insanity that I love I think, so much. I think, yeah. And the matrix was the first thing, you know, it was, okay, it that was, was at the, the point where it was like, you know, I was in college, I was away from my parents. I was away from that, you know, same sort of thing, same Roman, you know, Roman Catholic upbringing and kind of branching out on my own to be like, well, what are, what are my decisions? What are my thoughts about the, you know, how the world works and, and I mean, one of the things the Matrix struck me specifically is like what Morpheus is saying to him, like your whole life you've known, like, yeah, like there's something wrong with the world, but you, it's like a splinter in your mind, but you can't put your finger on it. Like I, I had felt that way my whole life. And so even just the fact that Morpheus was the first pe person that addressed that, that other people also see things wrong with the world. And, you know, and, and again, you could take that on any level you know, uh, you know, cultural, you know, in terms of like within the government, you know, with it, you know, like that's one of the things that's always been great about the matrix metaphor is you can apply it to anything. Um, 
but that was the first time it was con confirmed, confirmed for me that I wasn't the only person thinking that way, you know, and, and that it was like, you know, not just, and I mean, I, I, in college, I had even taken philosophy class. I took like, I think a logic, basic logic and like intro to philosophy, but you know, it was actually, that must've been after the matrix. Cause I think they've referenced that in one of my classes at one point, but anyway, just the fact that like, even with philosophy, it's like, yeah, we're kind of thinking about stuff, but I don't know. It, it never, um, yeah, I can't, I can't place the difference, you know, where like hearing these kind of arguments come up in philosophy and like, oh yeah, the mind body complex and are they two things or are they the same thing? And, you know, it's, it, it just, it also felt, I guess, very grounded. Whereas with the matrix, it was just kind of like, you know, blowing the whole thing out of the water, you know, and, and, and that's what it, it hit me at my core and it made me instantly question everything in a different way than just like, you know, philosophy does it, it philosophy always said, felt like more like musings to me, you know, um, musings. you know, yeah. Like, like, like Ethan Hawke in, in reality bites where it's just like, everyone's stupid, but me, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to talk about everything I see is wrong with the world. But I think there was always a part of me that was like, well, that's just me being an asshole, you know? And I feel like there's some degree of that in philosophers where they're like, I'm smarter than everybody. And here's what's wrong with the world. Whereas with the matrix, it, 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 it hit me differently because I think it was saying like, no, there actually is something wrong with the world. <laughs> you know, like it's not just that you're, you're thinking about it as a way to not have to do the things you need to do. You know, it's like, um, it's like, no, no, you're, you're right. There is something here that we need to get to the bottom of. And for some reason, like, like the actual philosophy never really did that for me, you know? Um, but anyway, yeah. So that, yeah, just to, just to kind of put all those things in perspective and into timeline and things like that. And I think that's one of the things I did like about, oh, I no philosophy must've been before matrix. I think I knew enough about philosophy so that as that stuff came up in the matrix, I recognized it, but it was also put in such a way that it was like applied to, through the metaphor to reality. So anyway, so yeah, back to back. So <laughs> Zeke, I was curious, were you flashing back to a conversation? I, I had uh, posited you about the uh, fucking perspective <laughs> of a salt shaker. Yeah, a little bit that one. <laughs> like like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> no, and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a personal attack, but I think Tim, you summed it up just extremely well. What I was thinking just with, I don't know, like philosophy can have that tone where the philosopher or the style of philosophy or whatever is like, this is what's right. And you're dumb for not knowing it. And I know it. And so, yeah, I think, you know, there have, and we can get into it as we get into different scenes and things like that, because there are certainly ones in the movie where it's like, Oh, as a, cause I really, I'm fascinated by dreaming and lucid dreams and having control over your dreams, all that stuff, not like in any deep level, but just things where it's like, Oh, I've experienced that. Um, haven't like researched it or anything, but certainly, find dreams weird and fascinating and fun and all that stuff. Um, so there are snippets of those that I really attach to. And then some of the other chunks where they're talking to someone and it is more based in like, Oh, this is so-and-so study from this year, blah, 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 told us this. And I don't know. So that stuff is a little more abrasive to me. Um, so I think the that's thing, kind of what I was referencing. Yeah. The thing that I was picking up on this, this time is like philosophers talk like pastors and the way they write is like pastors. They take an illusion or a quote, and they take two ideas that are as disparate as the day is long, and they write it on the drive to the freaking church because they're behind. You know, like, so, and they say it very, like, and that's the thing, the tone of all of these conversations is very, 
of authority, right? Like it's like it's like this, right? And this. And if you follow this and it's like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? Don't you get it? And that is a lot of the way they, they think and they talk and that like it, they're fucking off-putting. Like that, I yeah. tell you, like I <laughs> like it's <laughs> when when you're doing a course on Aristotle and everybody is like doing kick your guard and they're like grad students are like this kicker guard is like beating the dog shit out of Aristotle in this other class. And it's just like it becomes this like one upsmanship. Because that's that's all philosophers did, right? Is like Plato Aristotle, Kierkegaard, Confucius. Like it's everybody just fucking battling each other. I mean ERB did this, right? Like it, it's it, epic rap battles did this. Like mm-hmm. it's it's all well you're wrong because of this. You're wrong because of this. Like it's it that's the that's the philosophic tradition is kicker guard like god is dead but also so is kicker guard like that is a very much part and they're big names and they talk about existentialism and quayness and i i'm this i'm this and i'm pompous soul about it but like it what, what's what i found this time is it's really it is really off-putting like the way that it's unless unless you're seeking this knowledge out right it's just berating you mm. and the way the confidence with which they say these words that have no context outside of philosophy have no and this the other thing is like it's such a privileged position for a movie you know like none of these people are hungry you know nobody's suffering it's real when you, all of the fucking pyramid of needs are fucking full. You can pontificate and you can philosophize all you want, but like, there's a very big difference between how these people are talking about living in life and how people have to participate and experience. And that's the thing that gets lost in it too. And, and, and that's, I don't know, that that's the thing I try to, now I try to temper it with because it's fun. Like I love philosophy because it's the endless thought experiment. I fell in love with it when I read this thin little 45 page discourse on, on thinking or, or discord on method. I think it's Rene Descartes. And he's like the re like, it is just as likely to assume that the world is run by somebody who is evil trying to fuck with us as there is to be a benevolent God. And from that on, I was like, this is the playground where the mind can just run and break things. And I was like, from that itself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's what she said. <laughs> Any jobs going? I'll let you know. <laughs> For the office deep fans in the background. <laughs> Don't Google the office. I'm going to have to cut that, bleep that. Um, <laughs> but like it, it, it yeah, it, it is a palatable, this film is a palatable version, but it's also off-putting because it is in the tone of delivery that philosophical discourse often takes. Right. And I think there's a good mix of it because there's him just discovering other people and sharing about his dreams and what he's experiencing. That feels very relatable to me, at least. And then there's, you know, people chatting in a coffee shop and like, you know, that feels very relatable to me, at least. And then there's the ones that feel more interview style and it's, you know, and those do feel a little more off-putting. But that being said, yeah, like, you know, put with the animation and with how they were kind of chipped up into different smaller bite-sized pieces it, it you know i think it helped all of that feel more i keep using digestible but that's you know it's kind of how it felt i sort of get to the same like i i disagree but agree i get to the same red mm-hmm. point in the opposite way mm-hmm. the, an, the animation felt super pretentious to me like as the really? film started like really you mm-hmm. thought that like drowning this this rarely used art style would like impress us 
or something because a lot of the conversations felt super talk downy you know uh-huh. uh, yeah i know exactly that. and i was just like why you thought this would make me sit here long enough to endure <laughs> this you know but they're all short enough right obviously yeah good and i liked some and didn't like others and back and forth but the yeah. framing was what did it like as we moved more directly into the framing of it being a series of dreams the main character was working through yeah yeah that lifted everything all, all the weight off of my shoulders of just like okay yeah that's just take that approach this is just like a set of dreams and you can pay attention or not and and like it or not and like he's gonna figure this out and so can we okay cool like that that was the moment that Mink later like came down off the pulpit. Well, and this know, and is the thing to me. I, I I'm finding that like I don't know that I like David Lynch. And I've seen like very little David Lynch. I saw the Wild at Heart or whatever the one with Laura Dern and Nick Cage, and it's it's kind of like they're they're like uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, like like they're bad out of hell, like running from something. These two like star cross lovers or whatever, and the 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 surrealist dreamlike quality that Lynch gets. And it, like I, I liked Eraserhead, and the Eraserhead is a very specific like film. But like the surrealist transitions and the dreamlike quality of Lynch's films, I just don't, I can't latch. And I don't know if it's because it's, I don't know. There's something about surrealism, and I think this might be just like a Monty Python thing for me, where there has to be some kind of facade of fakery for me. If it's if you give me the CGI surreal. Or you give me like a really, I kind of want to see the outlines. I want to see like the the boundaries when Terry Gilliam's doing like the Victorian art as animation. I want to see that it's a fake leg falling off. I want to see the guy in the chicken suit about surrealism. I want it to be kind of like, if, I don't know, like I, I kind of want it to look faked because it's so hard to recreate. And that's something that I think this animation style gave me that gave me something kind of to latch on like a, an artificial thing to cling to as i was following through the surrealist imagery because i think in like i don't know if that's just like my particular brand of surrealism or like the, what i gravitate to about it is kind of like seeing the uncanny about it in, in 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 a way that you identify okay what's what's really close and where is it falling apart whereas lynch is very i don't know what I, that that just triggered that for me scott is like the animation didn't seem pretentious to me it sent felt like it disarmed it for me it gave me something to like because we're going dreamy dreamy dream if they had gone like super i don't know like i'm thinking of uh, um what this the scar joe where she plays the alien under this under the skin under the skin yeah like how brutal that fucking surreal image of the, the 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 balloon pop thing like listeners go back and listen to that episode if you haven't seen that movie go see that and be messed up like but like the the i don't know there was enough about like the way it sat that you could kind of let your i don't know there's something comforting within the surrealism of something that's you kind of could see the back of it that's got taped together you know, like the idea that it is constructed is is a a comfort as you're following through the the dream. Yeah, I think I kind of uh, for me it was a I don't know if bell curve is the right one here or maybe a roller coaster. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I'm with you a little bit, Scott, because I think at first within the first few minutes, 
I was like, oh, I, this animation's atrocious and I hate it. You know, why do their why do their eyes look like that? Why do they look? I don't know. It was a little little just different, right? Just different. Um, and I felt that way with different animation styles for more mainstream uh, animated series and stuff. Sometimes it takes me a minute to warm up to the different way characters look, things like that. So this being my first rotoscope movie, it did take me a minute to say, okay, this is how things are going to look. Um, you know, sometimes things were too wobbly. Sometimes characters looked a little too weird. So at first I wasn't so sure on the animation, but then we got into the conversations and I was like, well, I'd rather see this animated than if it was a documentary of just people talking about philosophy, that would have felt if it was just people like live action recorded, it would have felt too documentary style for me. And I would have been asleep. Um, so the animation did help there once I got past how weird the animation looked and then I kind of was cool with it. So I'm with you too. It was a little bit of give and take on both the animation and the subject matter. Yeah. I came of... around. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Scott. No, you're right. I came around. You're right. That's what I was going to say. It just took no, time. I, I just say like, I came around when like kind of after the, the, uh, title rolls, and you kind of get into where they're you're in the middle of kind of the jazz sesh, like or the the orchestra, like the the group, whatever performing artist happening. You're in the middle of it, and you're kind of in the middle of this shedding session where they're like working through it, and just the the way it was shot and the way it's drawn, and just the the foley and the, the you can hear the the sheet music is moving, and you can kind of see it move before the notes move on it, like all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Like that's really where I latched into because it reminded me of Ray Fox, who did uh, an image series, comic book series called Underwinter, and it's all about like this kind of doomed symphony who get kind of called or uh, employed by this mysterious, messed up patron, and like it just reminded me and set me like, oh, this. This is what that would look like if it did. So, and it's got like kind of a Persepolis thing going on to it too. Like, there's a more modern comic book style-y because of the the outlines of the characters are not as well defined, and because of the pastel nature of it and the way it's composed. Like the train, when you see the train kind of moving through in the beginning mm -hmm. of it, that's like a really beautiful, gorgeous thing to watch. And like it, I don't know, it, it it's I, I came to enjoy it, and I like that it sh it stopped shaking. That was my main thing. Like I could look at it. So long as I didn't have to freaking hardcore Henry all over about it. And once it settled down, I could like actually appreciate like how it evolved. Because that's the thing, it's not always the same style. It's very, very in 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 in, in a close modulation of the same art style, but like it kind of I don't know, it, it gets I don't know, it reminds me of specific comic book artists. And I don't know if that's just where I was playing. I don't know. I was just looking for things to cling to because it was like, please don't talk about death. Please don't talk about death. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking afterwards, oh, I have to finish separately that this film worked way better for me as, as a pre-internet film. Okay. Not, I mean, not pre-internet, literally the internet's super old, obviously. I mean, people have been using it forever, right? But up until like when I was little, the internet was this separate thing. You know, you were on it for something and then you were off it, right? Directions were still people on the side of the road or a paper map or whatever, right? Or you went to MapQuest and printed or you didn't have a printer, so you copied them down. Like you were on the internet for MapQuest, but then you were off it again, right? There was this, you know, it was this separate object that you were on or you weren't. And even when it was commonplace, I feel like it didn't really become linked entirely to every aspect of our lives all of the time until like the first half of the 2010s maybe right i don't know like i, I was just in 
a foreign country a couple of weeks ago and I I love to have paper. I write stuff down. I have real things. I had, you know, color copies of my passport and stuff, you know, tucked away in the hotel and extra copies in here and I had like a, a card with the address of my hotel on it so I could show it to a taxi driver and not have to hand my phone to somebody or speak to them if I mean I I knew the language, but like I love all that. I do that all the time. It's a it's a quote unquote important backup. But on the other hand, I didn't need any of that because my phone just worked. Because of course it does. Why yeah. why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't you just constantly be connected to every piece of information on Earth and all the time? And mm-hmm. You know, for huge, I guess for the majority of my life, for now, that was not a thing, right? That was not how internet was. So, you know, now it seems kind of absurd that anyone would care enough to put this sort of film together. Because if you want people talking about philosophy, you can go onto the internet and have it at any moment, or probably already have it thrown at you at any moment from 10 directions. <laughs> Podcasts are, um, you know, but before all that, right you would have needed to you would have either had these conversations with your friends just you may or may not have you if you did only at certain times and places you may have taken a course you may have spoken to someone else but that's it so to take all of that and bring it together into a single package and then present it in a way that is ultimately undemanding of the viewer like i said here you go right in the first impression here's for you it sucks me is so much more useful in 2001 than it could ever be today. And I don't know that that it, it sort of feels like it guts the film just a little bit in terms of its intended purpose. But the separate purpose of any film is as an experience. And obviously that is, you can't take that away, right? It is what it is. You can experience the film always and forever, right? So uh, I don't know. It feels weird, but I, like one of my notes was, man, I forgot how ubiquitous payphones were. Because they're kind of everywhere. They're in the background of a ton of shots. He's one in the train station. Like, and yeah, I I remember looking around one day and going, where'd all the payphones go? But now I kind of forgot that that was a period of my life, right? So in that regard, the film was a real blast. Um, and that was the thing that I was thinking about later that made me go, oh, huh. Like the whole context of this film is in that other world that doesn't exist anymore pre-infinite connectivity where you can get that kind of like word vomit philosophy discussion stuff, you know, at the touch of your fingertips at a moment's notice. You couldn't get that then, right? It's just very different. And, you know, trains too. That was a little wild, right? I Does the film, does anyone know, take place largely in Austin, the locations? Because I isn't... I read Texas. That's the... That's the um flag that the, the skipper is driving yeah because that's where like later's from right didn't he set his earlier films in there a lot oh, well maybe. whatever the point being the film again like so many billions of productions film tv everything like it had this sense of quintessential americana about its location but also didn't resemble in any way shape or form anywhere i had been throughout my childhood <laughs> <laughs> and like like growing up in california obviously snow was everywhere right? If it's Christmas time in a movie, snow is happening, right? Whereas for me, I'd like visit family in New Jersey and hope snow happened while I was there. And if I was lucky, you know, maybe we get it. And that was the extent of it. So there was this understanding that quote unquote normal America was not representative of actual America. Um, But obviously as I've grown, I've traveled a lot of places and 
and also just got more used to the other stuff. He's a man of the world, people. But something Scott's a man about of the world. this particular film, I've never been to Texas before, so maybe that's that's it, right? Was I realized like a third of the way through, it was just like something about this feels so America, but also everything about this feels alien. <laughs> and I, I'm sure some of that was the dreamy nature of the film, but or because it is in Texas. <laughs> I, well, see, I don't know. I've never been. I will be going to Austin later this month, actually, for the first time. So I'll let you know. I've, yeah, I've heard it's it's a very different place. <laughs> I'm sure, but vis- visually, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you see something and you go, okay, East Coast town. You see something and go, oh, Los Angeles area. You see mm-hmm. something, you know, the film in general has this visual shorthand they use for all kinds of locations, right? And this this was had none of that. <laughs> just, yeah. It just was here you go yeah now that you mentioned that i'm surprised i didn't see more boat cars when i lived in rhode island that seems like that's right. weird. That would be. <laughs> you don't want to be going through the Dunkin' drive through like that oh that's the <laughs> only way you want to go through any drive yeah. <laughs> we're not landlocked <laughs> so tim you touched on this a little bit in your initial you know your opening monologue mm-hmm. but a lot of the films you've brought us seemed to to i had the note in front of my face and i scrolled too far and i lost it thing okay they seem to root from a a sort of dissatisfaction with the state of things Mm. right i mean the matrix this one i mean uh, some of the aeronautics maybe maybe not Not him but (laughs) you know an exploration of alternatives right and you've talked a lot about that stretch of your life but my question is do you still feel the same, I guess, urge, right, to search that you did when you came across these films? Or have you, like, have these helped you in the search as life has gone on? Do you, you look back at them for tools or memories, but, you know, you you don't have the same urgency. That's a really uh, personal uh, question. And I'm I, slow yeah, clapping that fucking badass. No, and I, and I want to hear from everybody about this I, question but i'm yeah. starting with you because you're sort of the source of the question <laughs> i i have a very sad answer is that as i've gotten older uh, i've gotten tired and i kind of don't care anymore and i i don't like that i feel that way but um yeah sort of the uh, a lot of i think a lot of it was um you know the the search comes from you know as i mentioned earlier the with the matrix kind of lighting that fuse and also the matrix being such a source of like a lot of philosophical ideas. And like I said, coming out of, you know, like Joel mentioned earlier, like when you're moving away from Catholicism and things like that, um, I always assumed there was some, something better out there. You know, there was something else that I would find and like, this is the thing for me. And, um, I found nothing. Uh, and, but I've also sort of, uh, sort of had a sense of, of peace with that. And I was actually uh, talking to Krista kind of about this earlier. And it was something I, I was like, I remember to talk about this and um, why, why I realized like what I liked about philosophy. And this kind of goes to what you were saying earlier, Joel, is that for me, what I like about philosophy is not the, um, the assumption that what you're talking about is knowledge. And I think that's maybe where a lot of them go wrong. Like I've talked through this, therefore I've solved the problem. 
Um, with me, I think the value is in the philosophizing, the, the, you know, the, I think therefore I am like, it's the thinking part of it. It's the, or, or talking through stuff and, 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 and the idea of, I guess, kind of questioning things and being like, I don't like this answer. So what do I think about it? What's, what's my alternative to that? Um, and, uh, and and it's also interesting too because this started to tie into a lot of like you know now how so many things are very polarized and one of those polarizations is you know religion versus science and i feel like philosophy is in the middle because or and 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 again i think sometimes um these things get corrupted and people have different sort of ideas about what what they are and and I know that one of the things with with religion, you have the idea of, of of faith and belief. You know, there is no proof, but you believe it anyway. And that that science is kind of like, well, we've 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 found, we've discovered the answer. And 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 again, I've talked to different people that had different perspectives, and I've gotten different answers. Where the idea that I feel like sometimes with science there is a lot of arrogance that it's like, well, if we can't prove it, then you know, like for example, like the whether there's a, a god. You know, and I feel like there are a lot of people who take the scientific approach and, well, since science hasn't been able to prove it, God mustn't exist. And it's like, no, that's bullshit. Like, you know, the lack of proof against is not proof, or lack of proof of is not proof against, you know. So you haven't proved, you can't know that God doesn't exist through science, you know. And, and the universe being as vast as it is, science will never find all the answers. However, the, the, the search for answers through the scientific method, I'm not trying to discount science, but I'm saying that some people, I think, will take science like almost as a religion, be like, well, some scientists said this, so this is what I believe. And it's like, but, but you know, there are people, and we've seen this happen where, you know, people on the other side are like, well, there's a study that says this. And it's like, okay, you're, you're fucking with the numbers. You're kind of, you know, biased in how you're doing this so that you can get the result you want. So, and I, I know that that's not a, a flaw in the scientific method itself. It's a flaw in the people, but the idea is that like, you know, we can't always just say, oh, we'll trust science. Because if you have an asshole or an idiot saying that I'm doing science, like, you know, again, we can't just trust that whatever answer they come up with is going to be the, the truth. And the, you know, again, that they've solved everything. Um, but again, I think that's part of the polarization that it's become so extreme. And I think there's, there's such a sense of like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I believe in science. And, you know, again, there's no middle ground, right? That like, if you, if you have questions about science, like, oh, you must be like a wacko who's a religious person. And I feel like philosophy is kind of somewhere in the middle where like, like, sure, there's a lot of stuff science has kind of figured out, but is that always useful to me as an individual with how I'm navigating my life, you know? Um, like, for example, like, you know, I feel like quantum physics is such a fun hot button issue right now. And, and I don't understand it. I'm not a scientist, but sometimes I hear parts of it that I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And I think I get what that means. And I'm probably wrong. But if I take something and kind of like, and again, it comes back to the metaphor thing for me, like, the idea of, you know, if I'm, if I'm wrong about some scientific theory, but it's a metaphor that then can help me navigate my life on a personal level as how I'm relating to a situation, like to me, that's helpful. So, so in that sense, yeah, like I don't need to be a science a scientist. I don't need to, to trust the facts of science and understand all of them. But if it's, if it's something that 
is able to help me think through a process. Again, the idea, the act of the philosophizing, the act of thinking about, well, what do I think about this? How do I feel about this? Why, you know, and, and I think also why that's important is I think a lot, like a lot of people have stopped thinking now because things are so polarized where it's like, well, this is what this side that's full of hate is doing. So I have to jump to the opposite side, but I feel like sometimes we don't think about all the aspects of what's going on our, on our side and, and are, are making detailed decisions of our own. And, and I do, I do see that a lot with myself as well. Like I don't think as much anymore, you know, I just, you know, I, I vote Democrat right down the line. Cause I'm like, you guys, like, I'm not letting you, you know, things up, but that doesn't mean that I agree with every single Democrat who's on the ballot. Like I'm not thinking about that. I'm just saying not, not Republican, you know? And, and I think, and I understand why we have to do that in this age because there's so many things at stake and I'm also not voting for myself. I'm voting for left pri less privileged people who the decisions that are being made are affecting. Um, so, so, so yeah, that's why I'm doing those things, but, but I'm not really thinking about all the intricacies of those things. I think, I think Joel, I think I mentioned this to you one time. Like I don't consider myself a liberal because I feel like once you do that, you've said like, boom, here I am over here. A lot of the ways I think, happen to align with a lot of liberal stuff, but I would never just be like, I'm a li liberal. That's how I'm classifying myself. Therefore, I must agree with all these things that all the liberals agree with. Again, I'm not saying I actively disagree with some of those things, but I feel like once you kind of label that, you kind of shut yourself off to um, to the, the intricacies and uh, um, what's the, um, the nuance. And that's another big thing that's happening nowadays is we're losing nuance. Um, so, so for me, the, at least, you know, as an individual on a, on a, on a personal level, the, yeah. And this, see, see, these thoughts are things I haven't really done a lot of lately because of that, because, you know, uh, again, I feel like we're kind of wrapped up in the, the immediacy of the things that are going on and, and how we need to vote and the way issues are coming out. So, so polarized. And it's like, okay, well, I definitely don't believe this. So I have to be over here. But it's like, I'm not really thinking about the intricacies of those issues. Like I said, a lot of times I'm like, well, there are people actively being hurt. So it doesn't matter what I think about this. It's, you know, doing what I can to protect those people. Um, and not and not that I would sit down and need to have a philosophical discussion about those issues. But I feel like there there are so many of those pressing issues. And, you know, again, this is this is a very privileged thing to say is I haven't had time to sit down and think about what I think about about life in general, you know, not about not about those issues necessarily, because if they're not directly affecting me, I'm not like, you know, JK Rowling, where I need to be like, I don't like trans people like, well, what what the fuck does that have to do with you? Why do you have to have an opinion about that? Like, why be why be shitty about that? You know, like, um, you know, so. So that's the thing too, is I feel like sometimes people are thinking too much about things they shouldn't be thinking about. Like, why, why do you need to have an opinion about that? Like, why not just, you know, trust those people and support those people because they need it because there are people actively trying to fuck with them for some reason. Um, so, so yeah, so I think that's, that's part of why I haven't been thinking and, 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 and dealing in this stuff in a while is because I feel like I've, um, I think, you know, I, I felt uh, uh, you know, some white guilt for that. Right. Like I got to spend so spend so much of my twenties just being like, what do I think about the nature of the universe? And it's like, other people are like actually suffering, you know? And, and as I've gotten older, that's, you know, and I've, as I become less selfish, you know, it's, it's really funny. I've heard a lot of Republicans say that as you get older, you'll become more conservative. Like I've become 
more liberal as I've gotten older, because when I was, um, you're in your twenties, you're, you're a selfish asshole, you know, right? Like you're like, I want all my money that I make to come to me. And then later on, you're like, like there are people actually suffering and I'm upset because I can't buy the same shirt in five colors. I can only buy the same shirt in four different colors, you know, like, like other people have real problems, you know? So so I feel like I've definitely gotten out of my own head as I've gotten older and been, you know, more aware of the world around me and more aware that like all the thinking that I did in my twenties, like didn't, I, I was going to say it didn't help anything. I mean, I guess it helped me kind of not, not find my place in the world, but more find that I, I didn't fit in the world and, um, you know, maybe, you know, and again, I'm sure a lot of people feel that way too. I mean, again, especially the people who are actually suffering, I, I, I have not experienced actual suffering in my life. I, I, I just want to, you know, quantify yeah, that. Like, I, like, but, I, let me, let me, let me quote my dear friend, Heather, who I met in the third grade, who started out by making fun of me and singing a very cruel song to me and is one of my best friends of all time. She, she learned, like, somebody said this to her in a pizza place she worked at in high school. It said, how does my suck make your suck not suck? Mm-hmm. And it's okay. broken my fucking brain. Yeah. And it's like, anytime I hear that, like, who's actually suffering? Like, everybody's fucking suffered, like, first of all. But, like, also just to, like, validate, like, I, with the, the meaning of life stuff, when I dip in, like, I dip in on it pretty casually, but I do it a lot. Like, I like Pete Holmes' podcast. He always talks to like spiritual thinkers and stuff. And it's like anytime like I have to di- like de- distance myself from it because it's too much on my brain and it's too much like I can't think about this because it will just send me into the spiral that I'm trying to avoid by thinking about this stuff in the f- first place. Like that's that's the Ouroboros of it for me. Mm. Um, but for me, like when I get in those places where it's like I can't think about it anymore, something will happen or I'll watch like everything, everywhere, all at once. That movie, like, is very much crystallized for me about like what, what if anything, my my life has to be about is is kindness. That's all I know, right? Like that's and and w- like as close to anything, it, it it's it's back to that. It's the all you need is love. We're all, we've all been saying it's very generic and it's very chintzy, but like at the end of the day, that's kind of what I keep going back to. And that's what gives me hope. Like anytime I'm like, Oh, shit, the world is more f-ed up every ever than it's ever been. Now I'm like, I remember that we now have things that, like the, the plastic rings that used to have can- Coke cans that would f- up the turtles. We don't do that anymore. Like we, like we identified a problem and most we, all of us were like, that's f-ed up. Let's not f- up the turtles. Like that's, that's usually where I, I come in on it. So like, it, it's interesting to hear like, all of the thinking that you did did not help. It, it like what you learned allows you to move in in like a kind way, right? Like that. I feel like you you understand people and you understand that people are coming from different perspectives and like to engage with them on this fucking thing and to say I'm on this direct side of it is like preventing suffering. You can see that nothing will be gained from this dog fight you want to have with me. So I will move away from like that. You, you learned that from reading. You're like, people are not on this journey. Like I'm on this journey, you know, like, it, it, sorry, you said, you, you said like all the reading I, didn't help and it made me sad. Cause like Tim, it's funny. I was thinking similarly that like the things themselves don't have to have an end product to have been useful. Right. If, right. If yeah. Got and, you from, from there to here. 
Yeah. Well, and, and again, that's 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 sort I'm of definitely latching on one specific thing. That, yeah. Well, and that's my thinking on an individual level, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I guess that's the that's the kind of the um, you know, I, I feel like that's part of like the 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 privilege and, and white guilt battle that we're on, right? Like, like you know that you, it's like I I, I want to make myself a, a, a better person for my sake and and for the interest that I have and blah, blah, blah. And, but, but, but then the, the, like I said, the guilt of like, well, some people don't get to do that. You know, they're worried about how am I going to eat? And is someone going to, you know, beat me within to within an inch of my life when I'm walking to work today because they don't like how I live, you know, like, so, so that, that's kind of like, you know, I feel like the, the, the struggle that I've been in and I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I could be wrong. I haven't, I guess this is part of myself that I haven't analyzed is like, I don't know that the, the philosophy stuff has made me a, a better person for the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's made me, and I guess maybe indirectly because it's made me kind of understand myself better and therefore um, made it easier for me to function in, in the world that I don't feel like I belong in um, as opposed to conforming to the world. Like, I think that, that, you know, that type of thing, I think that's, I guess where it kind of saved me is that like, um, being able to not just conform to the world, which I think would would have made me miserable. It would have made me uh, the 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 world in general would be happy that I'm you know just shutting up and doing my work. And but being able to, um, yeah, it's it's I, yeah <laughs> to use a matrix metaphor. You know, it's like are you out of the matrix and kind of in the real world, like working kind of in the dirt, or are you in the matrix knowing that it's the matrix and able to manipulate it to like make stuff happen. And you can do that. And it makes it so that when you're inside the matrix, trying to get something done, it's easier, but you still know you're in a simulation and you know that you kind of don't belong there. And that that's not the, the real world, you know, it's, it's different than being um, stuck in the matrix, you know, and being like, Oh, I feel like there's something out there, but I can't get to it. Um, and, and, you know, and I, and I guess, yeah, I guess that's part of it is like the, you know, a lot of times philosophy seems like mental masturbation, you know, and it's like, are you, are you doing it just to pump up your own ego or are you doing it? Like, like I said, to make you a better person so that the way you're interacting with the world is better. And, and I thought of something while you were talking, Joel, that I just wanted to say before I forget that this kind of summarizes, I think the whole, my whole take on a movie like this, which is, um, kind of where I've come to it is that like a movie like this, I, I realize I don't necessarily learn from what they're saying and say, oh, you just said a bunch of information. So I took that in my brain as fact. And now I know stuff. It, it gets me thinking my own thoughts, like based yeah, yeah. on what they're saying and maybe kind of taking some, or like I said, sometimes misinterpreting what someone is saying, but taking it and running in my own direction. And I've done this with music before when I've started studying music of other cultures. If I'm reading a book about music from another culture, I'll read a description of it. I'll be like, oh, that's so cool. And I'll start thinking of how I can apply that to music. And then I'll listen to what they're talking about. I'm like, that's not at all what I thought that was going to sound like. Like I have a completely different result from that description. And and to me, and, and I think that's one of the things why I also realized like, you know, um, you know, like going to school and the kind of like scholarly stuff. Um, like at one point I was like, maybe I'll be a musicologist. And I was like, no, that's, that's not for me because that kind of deals with like the research and the facts and how you're representing the cultures. For me, 
I like getting inspiration from things. And even if I get it wrong, if it inspires me to do something or have a thought process that works for me, then, you know, that's kind of more what I'm interested in those things for. Um, so, so it, I guess in a long roundabout way to answer your question, Scott, like, <laughs> yeah. I, and also I feel like part of it is that the, the well did seem to run dry. And I think it might've been something that was very trendy around that time. Cause as you notice, yeah, I'm pulling all films from that came out around that time it seemed to be really popular to be like exploring this and, you know, what about this and philosophy and like, Oh, the world is, you know, and, and it seems like a lot of those kind of dried out. And I remember yeah, around that time, seeing all these films that were like, that were blowing my mind in similar ways, but giving kind of showing different perspectives and making me run in a different direction with a thought process. And um, I feel like that did stop happening after a while. And it was, um, it was a while I'm trying to think of if there was something recently like that that I watched that I was like, oh, this this is like those films, but I I, I can't really can't really think of anything. Um, I mean, Tenet kind of. I mean, because I remember the, you know, like in that podcast talking about how oh, this was like the Christopher Nolan that I fell in love with with Memento, right. you know. And then it's like, yeah, the Batman films are great, but it's like it wasn't. Um, it was it seemed very much like it was Christopher Nolan's direction, but not necessarily his storytelling. And then I feel like with uh, um, what was the other one? Uh, I feel like uh, um, Interstellar should have blown my mind, but it was almost like it was it was so was much so about like, like space, but then also so much about like, oh, it's a story about family. And it's like, OK, like like I get that. I get you were trying to do like this family, this this big space for it. But at the heart, it's a family. It's a father and, and daughter. And um, and I, I think like it just lost me in the in the middle somewhere, you know, that it was it was the space was too big and the family was too was too small, you know, it was too concentrated. Um but like with Tenet, it was definitely like, oh man, like the storytelling is really f***ed up, but it's because of the nature of the story you're telling, which is creating the way you have to tell the story. And that was the thing with Memento. So, it, but but it, it didn't necessarily, like that was purely from like, I think a filmmaking storytelling standpoint, it didn't make me like question the world and, and stuff like that, the way a lot of other stuff did. Um, I mean, Memento didn't make me question the world. That was more just like, again, about the storytelling and the way he's told the story, which is what, what drew me in. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like I kind of maxed out on all the different, and I'm sure there's other stuff out there, but I, I got to a point where I started just hearing a lot of the same stuff regurgitated. And it's like, oh, I must be going at um, a lot of filmmakers and writers who are all inspired by the same original philosophers. So you're just kind of hearing the same philosophies kind of coming back in different forms. I mean, even the whole thing, you know, I, you know, with like, you know, Joseph Campbell and star Wars and, you know, like all of that, like with, you know, when you get the, the, the hero's journey, you know, like that stuff, you know, once you kind of identify that, you kind of see that everywhere and it's not, you know, it, it's, it's still great. And it's great that we can tell different stories with that same kind of um, format, but um you know, after a while, like it, it does lose something when you're, you know, when you've watched something and then later on you realize, oh, wow, how cool. But then when you watch it, like, oh, yeah, this is the hero's journey. Here's him saying no to the journey. OK, now here's him. You know, here's the old wise man coming. Now here's him going on the journey. Now here's the tragedy. Now, you know, we can't go home again now. here, You know, and like when you when you see this stuff play out, 
it, it doesn't, it doesn't hit as hard that, you know, that you're used to it. So I think that's part of it too, is that like, I always, it, it becomes like a drug, right? You know, it becomes like where the first time it happens, you get this high and then you're kind of chasing that high, but you never reach that high because, you know, once you're expecting it, it never hits as hard, you know? Um, and that's part of it too, is I've, I've tried looking elsewhere for different things, you know, book okay. series, you know, huh? That like, I feel like that's part of it too, is like, let it like, I've gotten to a place where I'm letting it come to me with those. Like I'm not chasing after it because yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm also lazy as fuck and there's too many things to watch. Right. Like, <laughs> so, and then I have this, like, and you guys bring me stuff that blows my mind. And then I have conversations with y'all and it happens that way too. And then I see like, I don't know, like it, it, it's, but yeah, to, to go after it and come back with the same, same stuff, same stuff, same stuff. That, yeah, of course, that is definitely like a way to deaden the journey. Like where, what, what new am I gleaning from this? Yeah. So I need to, maybe I'll start bringing more stuff in that vein. Then I'll stop trying to f you up and try to, try to <laughs> holy you up. I just, I, I've had it going this whole time and the, the, the holy moment to the concept of the holding the holy moment mm. and the anticipation of the acknowledgement of, and the realization of it's not happening. I, I don't know, like the idea of the holy moment or the uh, yes, thank you to the present moment to be truly present without worrying about not being present. Like, I don't know it, it that the, there's a lot to latch on to. And maybe there it, it's mental masturbation to do so. But there's also like really, truly like the loam of the shit about humanity is in here, too, is that like, how do we live authentically? when all we have is like this second that we're occupying in space as these meat puppets move forward through time. Like, I don't know how anybody talks about that or thinks about that without wanting to light things on fire and scream. Like, I, I don't get how we're not always freaking out about that, but like it, it it's, I don't know. It, this gave it to you in these like bite-sized pieces and it's like a conversation. So you're not alone. I think that's another thing is like the conversational tone while condescending also is a communal activity and to i think a monologist would have a really difficult time delineating this kind of information i think that would be even more off-putting because we have this central character who we're kind of POVing through these things i i think that gives us more it's i mean it's from their perspective that we're almost being condescended to so like it's it it's also we're like more on his side than we would be if it was a different tone too zeke what are you seeking uh the meaning of life through and what is sparking or not sparking your fire these days scott this is a killer question yeah that's a, yeah that's a great question yeah, this, uh, this, this question <laughs> me up more than the movie did <laughs> thank you <laughs> um i don't know that is a hard one uh that's what she said <laughs> hey <laughs> see leave a holy moment alone timothy <laughs> no he says i will soil any holy moment <laughs> <laughs> i love that i won't have to bleep soil <laughs> like soil's fine there's nothing needed to be censored about that one <laughs> Um, I'm still thinking, yeah. Do you, do you, do you want to take this Joel and then I, I can hop in or like I said, like I, I like, I'll listen to Pete Holmes. He always has comedians and spiritualists mm -hmm. on and people like talk about astral projecting and like 
demons and I like ghost hunters and like that. I like, I like in, in the, like, I'm very much in the agnostic kind of place, but I'm also like, I don't know. A lot of things have happened in my personal life recently that have made me feel a lot safer and less scared about the end of my life and like what's after like there's just things in my brain that have kind of clicked and i feel and i'm also 30 you know like if we get to 30 where all of all the synapses are connected and we can kind of see where the gaps are it really helps Mm. with things so like i i get to a point where i'll be oversaturated listening to because i'll listen to to those kinds of deep talks like seven days in a row and then i'll need to detach for like a month and then I'll have stuff like surprise me about philosophy like this. I wasn't expecting this kind of a deep dive or soul was another one or any time like the, mm. the podcast is great for this. Like a movie is good or a book is good for this or see like devs <laughs> me up like this, like got me mm. thinking about time and those kinds of things. So like, I, I feel like I, I'm not looking for them so much. People are bringing them to me is like suggesting things is like, this is cosmic and weird and it will explain your life and it's scary. And yes, it, I've, I've had those things. And it, it, there's just also so much of it. Like I'm, because people recommend things to me constantly, I'm, I'm not finding I have to go and seek it anymore, which is, is kind of nice to kind of lean back and let it, it kind of trickle in. Cause there's like, I'm never going to get to all of the things. So I, what, what's filling up my buck. It's also like, it's not always content stuff. Like the things that are filling my bucket is also like getting out and hanging out with folks. And like, that's, that's helpful. And that's something that's I'm trying to learn again with COVID and all of that, like being inside for three years and also feeling like my, I've, I'm just now realizing that in my head, I've always been uh, like worried about a curfew that no one is enforcing anymore. Like I'm worried my mom is going to show up wherever I am and be like, Hey, aren't you supposed to be at home? Isn't it a school <laughs> night? Like I'm just now realizing that. And so like, I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm watching less and I'm getting, I'm having the, the, I'm having the pretentious conversations like these folks are having, like instead of watching people talk about them. So I, I, a little bit more recently, and I'm sure I'm going to have to collapse at some point, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not seeking the, the like meaning of life content or like materials as much as like, not turning them off when they're on, you know, like they're just like, Oh, it's here. I'm watched. Oh, I'm okay with watching this. Cause it's not going to freak me out. Also, I have you guys to put it in front of my face, like with soul. And with this, you guys have like made me watch it. And I like, it's a safe space to explore too. That's, that's something that's helped. And I think that's something else that's difficult is with this stuff is like, if you're kind of battering at it alone and it's hard with like religion or like formerly religious folks, like there was a place to do that, or you did it with, family or there's like youth groups or like it's supposed to be a communal kind of learn experience but with like the meaning of life unless you're going to a class but that's with grades and stuff like there's no real casual way to do it with folks and i think that's what ends up helping is like that was the great thing about taking philosophy courses with people who weren't assholes is because when you talked about it casually it was like oh how cool your brain works this way and you like oh, you like thinking about it from this perspective. It's like, oh, it, it was like you got to use these folks as a way to explain your thought process rather than one-upsmanship. And so I feel like w- there's not really a forum for us to discuss philosophy casually among folks or like the meaning of life if it's not church 
You know, there's not really an apparatus for it. I, so I think that's something difficult too, is like, unless you have somebody suggest a book to you that you have time to get to, and then, oh, you have time to talk to them about it after the fact, like the conversation of the meaning of life or like that process becomes very solo and very isolated. And I think that's, that sucks. And, and that that's why I love the podcast so much is because we get to talk about like, that's why we talk about Batman forever longer than the runtime of Batman forever is because we like, there's no forum to talk about all of that stuff. I, so that that's kind of where I am with it. Yeah. Back to you. I think that, <laughs> no, that helped. I think that sparked some things for me because yeah, yeah, not really actively seeking out. Um, I do agree. Like, I think there's a nice kind of just in my thirties vibe where it's, you know, and just, I'm like, all right, I'm feeling more settled than I was five, 10 years ago, just in my head about what I'm doing, what makes me happy, what I regret or don't regret. Like I'm kind of just, hanging out and enjoying things now, which is nice. You can kind of see um, the ball rolling better too, right? Like you yeah. don't have to feel, where's it going to go? Where's it going to go? It's probably going to go over there. Like right. you're not running <laughs> after it anymore, I feel. Yeah. And I think, um, I know Joel especially can attest to this. I, a lot of my meaning of life thoughts are more, they're more backward looking than forward looking in the sense that like, I think, um, you know, everything everywhere all at once is a good, content example of that where it's like what if all these other branches what life could have been like and how does that compare to what life is like for me now and what does that say about the overall meaning of life because there was a stretch content wise last year where i think it was that and then i saw soul and or you know watch soul again palm springs, I can't too, palm right? springs was the third one yep and then um read a book called the midnight library which is very you know you go into a library and you can read different lives you know, you pick a book and it's just one, a different life that you would have lived. Like all of those things together put me in a very specific headspace about like all of the different branches of possible lives. Mm. Um, so I think that's one way I think about the meaning of life is like possible lives, but then like what's a through line throughout all of those possible lives that, you know, sparks joy or, or, you know, what would ground you in any of those lives, like regardless of what college you went to or what job you're working or, or what you would be proud of, like what would yeah. be essential to who your character and what you define yourself through all of those influences. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of those specifics, like, Oh, I live here or I went to college there or I do this for work or I do this for a hobby, like, or I'm this famous or I'm this not famous, you know, across all of those things, what are the things that you would like to consistently see that make you happy? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think, the way I do process uh, a lot of it is probably content-based, but probably now at least not something that I'm seeking out intentionally. It's not like I'm like, oh, let me go watch another <laughs> movie about a hundred different lives and myself up. But um, do tend to just, those are, those are things that I do find myself attracted to and then tend my, to find myself reflecting on a little bit more. How about you, Scott? I, it's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you thought it was going to get... <laughs> no, I, I was sort of thinking obliquely, just like a lot of, especially in the context of film, right? A lot of the stuff that I was pondering at various points in life isn't stuff I ponder anymore, either because it it isn't relevant or I just stopped 
being interested or what have you. I don't know. I, that's sort of what I was getting at, Tim, about like just because it doesn't have an effect on you now or end product didn't make the time spent not worthwhile. Um, but what I was thinking was if I did win any of those films to the cast, it would be an interesting experience because, I mean, for all I know, I did, and I just can't remember the list right now because I, they would be representative of a past self. So the whole discussion would be external for all four of us. You know, obviously for the three of you looking in at the headspace of someone else, right? But even for me, it would be I'd have to it would have to be remembered, you know, and in that sense, external, right? Different perspective in that I was there, obviously, but um, you know, just that looking back has its own distance that is not dissimilar to the distance of a separate experience, right? And I. I it's also through a filter that's not necessarily reliable, you know, like you, yeah. it's, it's like the distance also ages, you know, mm-hmm. like that, the, the film has yellowed, you know, like it, it's the, like, absolutely. And it, the thing I was thinking about was, yeah, Tim keeps bringing us these films that have to do with grappling with your place in the world. And all of the films are, it feels weird to say old because they're, you know, only from, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but you know, obviously, though they're older in the context of the now, and I was like, I wonder if that's they still hold the same purpose, right, and the same potency. Because I, I'm hard pressed to find something that would for me that would hold the same philosophical meaning-based impact as it did at the time. There would be more recent things that obviously are more recent, right, that are resonate resonated and still do but if i put together some sort of i don't know early 2000s collection of films that impacted my worldview it would almost be entirely an exercise in past tense and i just was curious about whether that perspective was the same for you tim with the films you've brought us which i guess says that i've changed my perception of myself a lot throughout my life question mark um you know but uh I don't know to, to what end, or is that just the natural progression of things? I don't know. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it's probably like the whole like you know butterflies' wings. You know, like some movie you saw at some time twenty years ago probably had all these ramifications that you probably can't calculate now. But yeah, had you not seen that film, it would have you know kind of like in the film where he's like drop him off here. He's like I don't know where it is, but it's going to change the course of the rest of your life. You know, like like you know and just just that that was one of the things. You know, it was probably one of the least philosophical things. But yeah, like how so many little random things like they affect the rest of the course of your life. You know, like whether you know sometimes whether you want to admit it or not. You know, and um, so so yes, I mean I think yeah, like for me it was definitely. I could see it was more active because I was seeking, yeah, seeking those things out and wanting to sort of have that sort of a life and perspective change. But yeah, like even if, you know, even if they weren't necessarily blowing your mind at the time, I'm sure they, they somewhat steered you in a direction maybe, or, you know, uh, you know, like in Bandersnatch where he has different, one of the choices, what cereal you have. And somehow that sends him on a different journey, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but um I'm thinking of like other kind of like meaning of life defining like nexus points. Like stand up was a big part of that for me. Cause like when you're rejecting religion or you're coming out of like your parents, like Carlin and Robin Williams and Pryor and 
like Chappelle and a scandal noted about Chappelle, but like the, the, these guys, like the thing about comedy is like when you're going for funny, it makes you ask interesting questions and clever questions. And you, you think about things on, on a way, like to hear Carlin talk about religion and manipulation about how the government treats people and how words are important and how, how can we use words this way and they be ugly and this way and they be like just the idea of and like i watched uh history of the world part one mel brooks's film really early and in that one of the early roles that he plays is he's a stand-up philosopher he's a cut comic he's like i just got in from florence and boy are my arms tired and he's pretending that he was like he's got a but um she's just doing it he's he and he gets thrown to the lions because he's a bad comic. He's a stand-up philosopher. So, like, I've always thought of, like, when you're asking interesting questions, even if you're just looking for funny, whatever the motivation for asking the interesting questions and thinking about something at one side, I, I feel like that's that's part of... It's not even, like, the content, Scott, like, in terms of, like, it being a past tense thing, but, like, it building the scaffolding for me to think about these things. Like, when I'm thinking about, okay, what's funny about this? If it's funny, is it funny because the thing is fallible? Or is it funny because of juxtaposition? And I think that's a big part of, like, how I unwit or, or look at things and where that comes from is that early nexus point of like, okay, if you're looking for funny, if you're trying to essentially trick the audience and misdirect them because of their understanding of the content you're talking about and their insecurities about how the world has been presented to them and how they work, that is a, a great lens through which to view, look at the world. And I think that that's it's it's lens making more than it is like the 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 root content points, if that makes sense. Two, I just pontificated all over us. Is is are we feeling condescending? No, to? I really hope not. No, I, it's good. I'm feeling good. <laughs> I'm Do we have favorite scenes? <laughs> we, we... Have we even yeah. gotten? Yeah. Also, like trigger warning, real quick. The the, the there's self immolation in this. The sudden whip quick shooting of the uh, uh, bartender in this, like, <laughs> just like the the, the, oh, yeah. the the casualness of the violence in this was also mm -hmm. really kind of jarring. And that's the thing. No part of this was not jarring. Like, I feel like that was kind of yeah. visually it was jarring. Contentually, it was jarring. Like, it, like, and I think it never stopped being jarring also. And I think that was helpful to it. I mean, yeah, my, I think my favorite scene answer is anytime the accordion was playing. <laughs> but I mean, fair because those stretches of musical interlude were like such peaceful moments in between the rest of the film. They were very helpful. I need more accordion. Amordian. 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 <laughs> did you write down Amordian? I please? Did. I yes, down you did. That's my man. <laughs> um, Will you please snapshot that? Like that's going to be our <laughs> post for the, the... <laughs> Amordian. I mean, more accordion. Amordian. Yeah. I love um, you, but I, I guess the real answer, if you need a real scene, is early on. Breakfast in cereal, boat car, look to your right, crosswalk, etc. Nature, nurture, environment. Right. The one guy starts to, whatever. And it cuts to the two women in the restaurant or the cafe, I guess, right? That's it. I loved that. That one was the pinnacle of non-forceful, non-condescension. And it was just this brilliant 
conversation between two people, right? And it talked about how sound connects to memory and how weird that is, that the sound we make isn't any different than a, you know, knock of a branch on the floor on, on, on the ground or a car horn. It's all just stuff. Everything is noise. But for some reason, these noises, we connect them vividly to memory. I just, I love that. That was such a perfect, like, yes, I want more of this, please. And a little less of the, the like, people who have all the answers, right? Um, and then, not favorite, but honorable mention goes to the, the gun scene between the two guys in the bar. Not for anything to do with the content of the scene, because we called it a 41 revolver. I went, what the hell? And Googled, and turns out there is such a thing as a 41 My grandpa had one. Magnum. I've shot one. I did not know that existed. So They're funky, something. and the ammo's so, heavy and expensive. Yeah. It's such a pain. Really? They're so, fun. Yeah, so, like it, you know, that scene gets an honorable mention for teaching me something. <laughs> right? Zeke, we, we cut you off there. Sorry. No, man. yeah, that's okay. I was just going to say one overall theme about different scenes i had written down that you know yeah the whole movie was jarring but there were some scenes that were truly chilling right like uh the the the, the red face guy in jail talking his <laughs> and then there's the uh, other guy that was driving around on the loudspeaker yelling at people that like, was like unintentionally hilarious yeah. because i realized yeah. halfway through that like when you're driving like that with your little mag you know Unless, unless your message is 10 seconds or less, no one's going to get any part of it that's meaningful, right? I just that's had this image fair. of a guy sitting at a cafe, goes by, you know, just two sides of the same coat, car drives around the corner. What the fuck is that? <laughs> and, right? like, it's like so three just, angry, angry words and that's it. Right. Like, right I just went, oh, so that fuck about pissing in the wind. See, right? I kept thinking like from Blues Brothers where they're like announcing like come to get to to see the the show. Like they go up yeah. on the beach and they have the, the intercom. But yeah, no, like very, very violent. And like the like the, the gang of four guys who are all saying like this very culty, like angry, like all action and no theory, that whole mm. thing too. Like very mm-hmm. menacing and chilling too. Yeah. And it was yeah, it was just uh I don't know, some of those just felt <laughs> a little spooky and a little I wish I had thought of the <laughs> the guy driving and no one being able to hear because that whole time i was like i don't like how he's talking to me i don't like this really aggressive but like i said for me halfway (laughs) through i had that moment just went oh (laughs) this is actually hilarious (laughs) also i I I wanted to double check i wanted to double check that guy in the car is (laughs) alex jones yeah, <laughs> like I thought I remember like someone mentioning that at one. I was like, "What the?" F-? And then I was like, "Oh God!" And then, like I saw the part and I, I forgot it until like in the credits, like they show like who you know who everyone is. I don't know if you watched the like through the credits where it shows, you know, you're watching kind of like oh. the little scenes, and they're like, "Oh, that's who this person is." You know, I'm guessing if you ever wanted to be like, "Oh, I like what this guy said," I want to see, but that's that's f-ing Alex Jones. Oh, wow. outstanding. <laughs> Ah, that's perfect. It's his best work. And so, I've yeah, seen like, turn the freaking frogs gay. Okay, I've seen it auto tune. I've seen it detune. I know which one I like. Did so not know that. That's that adds that adds a lot to that. It it, it makes total sense too. It's like it's just like it also oh, disarms it to a certain extent for me. Yeah. It's like okay, <laughs> calm right, down. Guy. That was also how many years ago now? Twenty five years. Twenty four years. Two. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. go, look, look how far he's come from <laughs> screaming through a fucking bullhorn. <laughs> you know, like... I think I preferred him in a car. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, like I said, just with being fascinated and just liking the idea of lucid dreaming and having those dreams where you can remember where you're trying to interact with the people in your dream. I think those were my favorite scenes. And there's a lot of subtle ones throughout. It's not necessarily anyone. There are a few specific things to point to. Like, um, I think he asks one woman, you know, like, how do you feel being in my dream or something like that? And she just doesn't answer. And just like people not responding to him when he's trying to talk to them and interact put you in a dream, right? Where you're just in there, you're trying to like, it, you know, you're like, I know I'm dreaming and I know I need to do this thing in the dream. And like you either can or you can't based on the dream or like people are responding or the environment's responding or not responding based on the dream you're having. So I really like those a lot. Um, I also really like towards the end when he bumps into the woman and they have the whole conversation about dreams and not dreams. I just thought that was a good kind of like snap back to reality whoops the ghost gravity gravity. i didn't want to do it but (laughs) i didn't want to do that but i should have known that queuing that up you would have taken it so thank you it was was lingering for just long enough i got the snooping last time it was em's turn (laughs) but yeah it snaps you back to reality (laughs) thank you you're welcome thank you that was just for me No, I I really like that too. I like the like I don't want to be an ant. Like, can we not be ants for a second? I love that, and I hate I hate how often I butt up against that in reality. Like when when you email somebody, you talk to somebody who is replying through the person suit of their job title, and they're not being a human with you. They're just like, here's the thing, and they won't even like just tell you they're fucking you. You know, like, can you just be a person and tell me that this sucks and it's unreasonable and you agree with me about that? Just give me that. Give me that not ants behavior about this. And I, I like, I don't know, like, it was really refreshing to have that, like, because how many times is it like, thank you, oh, you're welcome, oh, you too, oh, enjoy your movie, oh, you too. Like, we have the fucking, like, auto-completes and they get messed up because we just are trying to fucking bumper cars over each other like the, the pinball machine is one of my favorite parts of it and it's it's right in there with that 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 vignette is is like bouncing off of each other and and, and like when do you linger do you ever get held in the corner like like talk first like not in a creepy way but like hey let's plan the next move for just the the uh one two three four five six seven eight like the electric company thing just keeps going you know like i i I don't know. That that was a really great pause. And again, the fo- Foley and the, the score facilitating a lot of those transitions was really, again, something else to latch on to. I, again, I really like the idea of the holy moment. And I think there's something so the ephemerability of that and discussing that with any, and you can kind of see even through this, this veneer, the animation, like, you see these two people talking about it and experiencing it. And you see that like, oh, this is a conversation between old friends. This is not pretension. This is not somebody is pontificating at somebody. Like the beautiful thing about, and you don't realize it until after it's happened, which is so great. It, it is modeling the thing, you know, your idea of the present and your assumptions of it based on the tone of that interaction. And then he says, oh, I feel it was gone and I felt it again. And, oh, you're sitting in it. And I, this is something I really love about you. That 
that changes that whole dynamic and you can't experience that again the same way. And I think that is such a great representation of a little bit of what the film is trying to do, in, at least in terms of what the present moment feels like and, and identifying it. And I think I don't know that I've seen a clearer and more quay, again, the thing as a purest version of itself to use this really highfalutin language, the, like as an example of that, I don't know that I've seen something do it better and more easily. Um, and and uh, there was another thing I had written was the negative. To, to acknowledge the negative is to free yourself of it. I can't remember quite the phrasing of it. I need to go back and read. This is like the first half. And it's talking about acceptance of negative as a concept as a way of deflating it and i really liked that thought experiment and i can't remember exactly how no nope, sorry i thought i had it in one of my notes but i do not apologies no that's okay I'm trying to even remember who was talking it's not ethan hawk also i really liked the ethan hawk vignette and i liked the set that moment was great yeah and yeah because of because of the way the sun is kind of coming in through the curtains and then the light kind of playing it and the, the casualness of it it, it it disarmed it to a certain extent again it because it gave this casual setting and it wasn't somebody pontificating at somebody that's for those of you playing the movie mumble drinking at home game for every time Joel says pontificate maybe maybe don't do that that's not good for anybody. <laughs> Yeah, but like the, the, just the idea of the negative and accepting the negative without internalizing the negative. Um, and also like the idea of they kind of dismiss pretty early on the idea of non, non-participation non as a thing, because that's a big, big sexy idea is like nothing, like they, they acknowledge nihilism as a concept and kind of play with it, but also they're like, you also should care. Like you should also do work. Which again is a clumsy. It's not a syllabus. I wouldn't use this to base a class on. But like what it talks about and how it, the things that it does touch on, it kind of does in such a delicate way that it's not. This is the whole truth and the light and the way and follow these, even though they're clumsily compiled. If that makes sense. And anytime they talk about free will, because that always fucks me up. I cannot grasp and I cannot latch. And they and I like. I like I like a thing that says nobody fucking understands this. And that is really kind of freeing for me because I don't like if if they've been beating their heads against this concept for such a long time and I'm if you think about it too much you'll just go insane. Like I feel like you you just like am I making my own decisions or is it just pheromones and environment and oh god hopefully I'm alive and these are not just projections around a, a person suit, a VR headset, you know, like there, there's like, it, it's, it's not the thing. Like, how are we not always freaking out about it? <laughs> but here's a bite-sized piece of, it, and not in a way that will hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Dear friends, how are we? So I think it... we need, we need aftercare. Like we, we really need, this is such a heavy, disturbing do, do, film. Do you want to do my favorite scenes? Yes, please. You torment this is, you. This is the aftercare, Joel. Yeah, you've got your the whiskey. whiskey. <laughs> yeah, Tim, please. So so I, I kind of think of this in, in like sort of two ways. One is it's and it's not a specific scene, but I like how towards the end of the film he starts seeing the people again from the beginning. Yeah. Like when he yes, sees the guy who drives the boat and the you know and then <sighs> and then he sees that one and that that was to me the most dreamlike thing where he's like 
I remember looking at you, but I don't think that was you. You know, it's like a, you yeah. know, and then she's oh. like going in to kiss him, and then he wakes up, like, <laughs> you know, and then when he sees Richard Linklater at the very end at the pinball machine, the pinball like, machine. oh, you were the other guy in the car, like, so it's like it's it it there actually is starting to be some form and shape that's coming in, you know, as a beginning and end to this whole thing. Um, and then, like, my favorite actual conversation is the one with Richard Linklater at the end, where because I feel like, you know, in that one, similar to kind of like the ones, you, you know, you guys were saying it was more, I mean, I don't know that I'd call it, it was uh, so much a conversation. It was still pretty one-sided, but it was, it was him telling a story, not so much here's Yeah. Like, like here's how smart I am and how I figured things out. It's like, oh, I had a dream and it involved this story, you know, that Philip K. Dick wrote and a story he wrote about this story that, you know, and and it's layers and it's kind of going deep and it, you know, and, but it's, you know, it's not him making claim to any of this knowledge. It's like, let me tell you a story that I heard that might be relevant to your situation, you know? And, and I think what I really like that is that's something I usually try to strive for, strive for when I'm, I'm talking about stuff, you know, is not just be like, yeah, let me tell you how to live your life. Or let me tell you about the nature of the universe is like, well, you know, and, and to me, you know, what the, the nature of myth and metaphor and what I like about it is like, here's a story that you can maybe see yourself in and it will help make sense of your situation or, um, you know, provide a new way of thinking about it, like pull you out of the situation if you're mired in it and be able to look at it from the outside. Um, so, so that, that part I really liked, it was, it, it almost seemed like the, the least dreamlike in a way, right? Because it's like, you know, uh, it, it, to me, it seemed the most like a conversation you would have with someone like, oh, I'm at a bar. Oh, let me tell you about this dream I had. And I also love, you know, it, it also reminded me too, sometimes I'll do that the whole like, um, uh, what the, what's the word? Sometimes words just leave my brain. Um, uh, uh, disclaimer where he gives a disclaimer like you know this is about a dream it, it might be boring but oh, oh well like you know here yeah. we're gonna launch into this you know i'm not saying it's an you know um so so yeah so i like that 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 story i really like it you know and because i feel like it, it is a little bit meta too because obviously richard Linklater likes philip k dick so he's like pulling that story in but then it's also him who gets to tell that story and you know and 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 that, that's something I, I almost wonder too, this is something I've noticed what I do with, my, with myself too, is uh, uh, one of the reasons I think I reference other stories is I think it's also like a, um, it's like an insecurity, right? Like, like my words are not going to help you. Let me see if I can reference someone else's words who might be helpful to you because they're, you know, they've, they, everybody else has said things better and put things in a better way. And I, you know, I, I, I don't tend to, to think that, you know, just talking to someone would be helpful, but it's like, well, if I can tell you a story that's helpful, then, you know, it's not because it's my story. It's someone else's story. That's why it's helpful. And I wonder if that's, if that's either part of it or if it's a completely different reason, but that was something that kind of latched onto me where like, you know, yeah, like he's not telling him, here's what you should do. It's like, well, let me tell you a story that maybe this story will help you, or if it's a story that helped him or whatever. Um, also, then just at the end of that, where he's like, well, yeah, if you want to wake up, you should just wake up. Yeah, you should just do it. <laughs> it's like, and then, poof, this yeah. whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but just the whole like the, the and the simplicity of that is like, yeah, sometimes that's just the best advice. Oh, you want to do the thing? Well, yeah, you should definitely do it, you know, huh. and, and like how he's not saying it as a way of like, oh, you're being lazy. You're being stupid. Why? If you want to wake up, why haven't you woken up? Like, like yeah. he's being encouraging, like, oh, well, yeah, if you want to wake up, then you should. Yeah, you should definitely do it. You should definitely wake up. Just wake up. Yeah. <laughs> 
I will say that probably brought about my least favorite thing at the very end, because we start to establish the alarm clock as this mm. litmus test for mm -hmm. every cycle. And then at the end, in the last one, he doesn't look at the clock and we don't see it. I was so annoyed. What a contrivance that was. It was like, like come on. Like, look, this is proto-inception. Because... Like, this is totally... Like... <laughs> like, he wants to surprise us later with the car and the floating, right? Obviously. So that's why he takes the clock away. But it just felt so like... Like, the clock was still there. I, I saw it. It's the same room. Like, like you, you avoided this on purpose just to, like, make the reveal feel like a twist three minutes later. And that sort of bugged me, right? I don't know. I don't know why, but I think for me, like, I guess I, I, and maybe this is me reaching too much, but I, I saw like, uh, I feel like there was a sense of resolve in the character. Like when he woke up, like he knew, like, I'm, I'm still not waking up, you know? Mm, and, okay. and, you know, in the, the kind of half hearted even when he starts floating away, the half hearted way he kind of tries to grab yeah, onto the he door. He doesn't even try like, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, That's I think right. by that point he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm never waking up, you know? And <laughs> so I think that was kind of, that was kind of it for me was that like, I like it that. was the, I've heard yeah, they say yeah. the whole like punch, punch twist, you know, like the punch is looking at the clock and it's fucked up. The twist is like, we don't, I don't need to see the clock. I know I'm not awake, you know? Like, yeah. I like but, yeah, that. I like that explanation. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Again, that could just be me reading into it, but that's, oh, that's, I like good. It. that's good. Yeah. Well, that silence sounds like maybe it's time. Is it time? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, favorite sure. Segment. My he favorite says, segment. Yeah, okay, which sure, do you want, what? what, what? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, my favorite. You know, I yeah, guess, sure. But... We'll do it. Like, I mean, if you wanna, like, don't, don't, don't make me sing. Is don't it make me it? sing. No, <laughs> we'll put it right here. It is. It is time for another <laughs> situational movie recommendations. recommendations. <laughs> No, um, how about a recommendation of a film in which dreams play a big part? I'm going to go with Imaginationum, or Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which was Terry Gilliam's uh, second-to-last mm. film and the last film that Heath Ledger was in. Um, problematic, like, Gilliam has some weird, some weird things that he thinks is okay in movies, like blackface in the 20th century like not a not a don't give any money to this man for this film but like a very interesting vignette and heath died during production and what they did was they brought in johnny depp and um uh uh jude law and colin uh firth no farrell colin farrell to kind of play these like dream personas of heath's character in it and it's all about entering people's dreams and kind of making their wishes come true. And it's Gilliam and it's brilliant and it's visually stunning and really interesting um, and very dreamlike. Um, that's the one that kind of leaps to mind for me. Um, I had uh, I have Krista's voice in my head right now. One of the things she likes to say to me a lot of time is, draw me a Venn diagram of the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus and Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Right? Because they came out the same it's the same summer and they're usually in the same $2 DVD bins. So like, yes, they are they are of a kin. 
I'm My favorite is in. draw me a Venn diagram of Blade Runner and Sling Blade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the word blade. <laughs> the only thing That's the only thing about. they have anything to do. <laughs> I like that. I need you to really make that Venn diagram. <laughs> I want that to be a t-shirt. <laughs> blade. <laughs> um, I was going to hop in and slam dunk uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah. Bad dreams. Absolutely. Bad dreams count too. So oh, yeah. hell yeah, you gotta gotta go with that one. Also, Inception is also a slam dunk. It's mm. up here, up here. <laughs> uh, I'm taking dude. the easy one. Is it, is it a slam dunk or is it low hanging fruit? Oh, <laughs> layups. Doing <laughs> layups. Both. Both. I don't have any Parnassuses or Parnassus. Wonder Emporiums or whatever. So I'm going with the easy ones. Yeah, I don't know what I have. I a lot of what I think about is TV, honestly. Mm. Um, we always do TV. That's also fine. I mean, I supposedly you are welcome to also say TV. <laughs> supposedly, Paprika interacts with Inception really interestingly. Um, the, is supposedly Paprika a film or a no, series? No, Paprika or, is the film. You're just saying, it's, mm-hmm. oh, it's a film. It's not um, just the spites. I didn't, look, Kong I didn't anime. know where you were going. Sorry. I, yeah, but I've I've never actually seen it, so I can't say. Because I, I guess it's supposed to be sort of a, a similar idea, base concept to Inception, but otherwise very different. I don't know. Um, and I'm sitting here now regretting not having watched it because I feel like it would be great. I mean, what counts as dreaming? Right. Oh, here total, we go. Well, Total See? Recall. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, Total Recall. Absolutely. Okay. Like, Excellent. It's more that about totally the nature counts. of questioning reality, I guess. But it has the same vibe as this movie, right? About our characters sort of emerging into realization of some new space. I don't know. Does that does that work? That's my answer. That's my favorite of your stretches. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Both. I think for me, it's uh, yeah, mine might be a stretch too, but I think Vanilla Sky. Mm. I mean, it's it's. I guess it's. I like remember a that only fake. Like that's. You know. So you're gonna need to give me some some context. Oh, you oh, you like, haven't seen it. I have. I it's just I only remember that vaguely. So so remember like yeah like the whole thing is like he he's in the car with Cameron Diaz and he like you know ghosted her so she like drives the car off of a of a bridge and you know he gets she dies and I think he gets like disfigured. And he kind of like, you know, fumbles through his life and he's like dealing with depression and stuff because of that. And then all of a sudden, like the the tone of the film kind of switches and you're like, oh, this is kind of weird and it's kind of dreamy and this, this and that. And then come to find out like at that point in the film, like I think he either died or was dying and they put him in like suspended animation. And now the life he's living from that point is this kind of like dream. And like a lot of what it what what they did in the filmmaking was um, you know, you notice like a lot of the, like the scenery will look like album covers of like music that he loved. And, okay. you know, and they're saying how like, Oh, this is, you know, the world you've constructed yeah. is based. And they I think they even make those comparisons in the film where it's like, here's this scene from a movie. And then like, here's some album cover and you're like, Holy shit. Yeah. That's the same thing, you know? And yeah. So right. yeah, it's, and you know, it, it's one of those, it does have kind of like matrix vibes to it too. Cause like reality starts getting f-ed up towards the end. He's like, what is going on? You know, what is it, what is happening? And then, you know, eventually they send someone in who has to be like, look, here's the deal. Like you're dead, your body's in suspended animation or whatever, you know, this has all been a dream. Yes. And yeah. Um, you reminded me of source code too. 
Oh, saw that, which wasn't really dreams so much as it was like simulated reality, right? Mm -hmm. But some other vibe. Yeah. And there was something I just remembered it, but I don't think all of you have seen it, so I won't say. But it has a thing at the end where the character is sort of like is told to choose between living a dream that is everything they ever wanted or coming back to reality and finishing their fight. And as much as the characters around him sort of portray it as like, you have to make the hard choice. It, it almost feels like he doesn't have a choice. Like that's how total the trap is, how complete the, you know, the, the trap that he's been captured in is. So he ends up just living in the dream and like it kind of leaves everyone else in the real world in the lurch at the end <laughs> good for him <laughs> but we haven't all seen it and i want to bring it to the podcast so i'm not going to mention but man that you dug that one up and i was like i can picture the moment when the decision happens and i'm like what movie is this so thank you for that tim <laughs> yeah yeah zeke do you have do you have another one or you you just take it you those real you're response. like yeah i'll take the big i'll take the big hits all day i got the easy ones yeah somebody's got to take those those were good hits <laughs> Nothing Those else is, is coming to me. Um, we already made you plumb the depths <laughs> of your psyche on this this episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's got to be more because I feel like there's a lot of movies where like a dream is interrupted or you're in a thing and is it a dream or is it real? I just can't think of any. I don't know. I was thinking about The Island with uh -huh. Ewan McGregor, mm, right. which came out around Vanilla Sky and they sort yeah. of are they connected all, or do I see trailers at the same time and they're fucking conflate the two in my head? I thought the island is that the one where they're basically growing them, yeah, harvest their organs for the act like they're clones, and it's basically rich people grow clones of themselves on an island so that if their body's shutting down, they get to take yeah. their organs, yeah, a thousand percent. So, yeah, no, they don't relate. I just conflating the two outstanding. I need to see that movie <laughs> sold. <laughs> So, not to, I mean, we, they already kind of stretched for Total Recall, but um, Surrogates, the Bruce Willis movie? Oh. I was just thinking of, like, like the replicant kind of aspect of, like, right. the planet they're not, Like, even Blade Runner to a certain extent, like, the idea of the canned memories, like, yeah. and that the, their dreamlike quality and, like... It's the details that make it real. I mean, Android's <laughs> dreaming of the electric sheep, right? Like, the uh, old... But, um... Because surrogates approaches the same sort of concept about whether your life is uh, what makes lived life real or worthwhile, I suppose, right? That with all risk removed, it sort of becomes meaningless. I, so, I, I, I was just thinking of The Cell, which is uh, mm. oh, Jennifer yeah. Lopez and Vincent D'Onofrio. Like she goes Vince into Vaughn. the head, or Vince Vaughn, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, no, it is both of them, yeah. Yeah. She yeah. goes into the head of a serial killer to try and figure out, and like, it, like it's it's surreal, like dream because it's like a mind palacey kind of construction. Also, Hannibal, like fucking Tim, watch fucking Hannibal again for the fucking fiftieth time. If you like this, you'll like Hannibal. Like, <laughs> you're like, no, I refuse, um, dude. I've watched Firefly. I find I finished. Oh, I am nice. I am Firefly. I am I'm I'm here and I'm sorry. I'm I've been wrong this whole time. I recant my testimony. Listeners, do not listen to the Serenity episode. I didn't know who who I was talking about. Mal <laughs> is the most Han Soloed <laughs> character of all time, 
and I didn't know, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tim. <laughs> How about Identity? I know, sorry. Identity? Huh? 2000. Sorry, Joel. Who's in that one? In what movie? Identity, 2003. Who's in that one? Oh, who's in? Um, John Cusack, Ray Liotta, other people. I, I like how we've we've listed like six and you're like no let's stretch let's stretch for more we got yeah. it man <laughs> but I mean, like I, what i've not I, heard of this one i guess i'll right spoil it but the the two parts of the film are a bunch of strangers stuck at a motel in the middle of nowhere during a catastrophic oh. storm and a serial killer who's in a hearing to determine whether he's legally insane or not and as the motel strangers start to get killed off the implication is that this are, we're seeing the crimes for which he's on trial. But at the end, it turns out he suffers from all of these split personalities. And this is his personalities conflicting with one another as the psychiatrists and the judges quibble over which one is going to be dominant and whether he can be trusted. I think I did see that. Yeah, now that you're describing it, that does sound very familiar. Yeah. yeah. How, about, how about Revenge of the Sith? Or <laughs> <laughs> Anakin's dreams about Padme? <laughs> Or they become a self-fulfilling prophecy because the whole fact that he's dreaming about her dying and you know making him upset and wanting to save her is what leads to the very thing of him killing her. Killing her, yep. That's yeah. such a Jedi way to go out too, though. <laughs> it's like I gotta save my friends because I saw a vision of them being in pain. Well, <laughs> <laughs> not from a Jedi. <laughs> not from a Jedi. it me. I allowed it. <laughs> I think we beat that one to death, boys. I think so. Timothy, f you, but thank you. <laughs> A solid pick. It is thank of you. the Freddy got fingered tear in my head. Thank you for bringing. <laughs> thank you for bringing me rotoscoped movie. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Much, so. Yeah, mm -hmm. I feel like that's a neat rabbit hole to go down too. If you're like, mm. oh, the philosophy part of it, I'm not interested in. But oh, what other films are rotoscoped and in what different ways? And like, you know, yeah. like the level of realism they're trying to go for. You know, yeah. well, that that whole like Vin Van Gogh, isn't that? Or like Vincent? I think the name of the film is Vincent about uh, Vincent loving Van Vincent, Gogh. maybe something like that. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, the one that's painted. The whole film is oil yeah. painted. Oh wow! I can't believe I haven't huh. seen that yet. I keep forgetting about it. Oh man. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, like they, they shot the film with people and then oil painted the whole thing afterwards. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's hardcore. That's one end of the spectrum. <laughs> this is at the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> but yeah, Undone on Amazon. I highly recommend that. Nice. All right. Bob Odenkirk's in it. I'm in it. I'm yeah, in it. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our Tim pick for the month. And that means we move on now to Zeke. Mm -hmm. Finally, so at long last. <laughs> What, what will you be wanting to see? Yeah. Um, so I've got one that's been on the list for a minute. I feel like it's still very relevant and very powerful and very good. Uh, and it is not a movie per se. It is a joint. We're going with a Spike Lee joint. Hey, yes. with, uh, do the right thing. Do the right All thing. Right. So, yeah, I'm excited Heck for that yeah. one. This was his big breakout, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big uh yeah, I guess Breakout was the word I wanted, there, right? The thing that brought him into the public consciousness. Mm -hmm, for sure. Ooh, this is like, so So this is the second Spike Lee, but this is the one, like, he wrote. Like, this isn't a treatment. Like, this is, like, going back to, like, the loam. Yeah, which was the other Spike Lee we did? 
Didn't we do Inside Man? Inside Man. That was oh six yeah, 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 too, yeah. Wasn't it? Uh-huh. It, doesn't, right. it doesn't read right. as one. Like we don't like yeah. we don't really think of it as in, not a joint. Well, yeah, we said that, right? Not a Spike Lee joint. But at the beginning, it doesn't say a Spike Lee joint. It just mm-hmm. says it's like, not a joint. It's just a movie. So a it's, a, it's a joint. We're doing a joint. We didn't do a joint before. Oh it doesn't yeah. Count. <laughs> is Black Klansman a joint? I think is that that one is right. It's the modern joint. It's the it's the vaporizer. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the I feel update. Like that one is also not. Yeah, I don't I think like the poster. Be... Wait, yes, the poster says a Spike Lee joint. It is. Oh, okay. Top. Oh, damn. So huh. that's weird. That does feel weird. Yeah. At what point does it become a joint? I like want to see this, <laughs> like on when the scale. Spike says so. What... That's the question. Like, does for it him. ever get yeah. bigger? Like, is there a blunt? <laughs> like, is there a, a sliding scale from joints to larger implementation? Spike's Who's this for? Bong rip. Yep. <laughs> and then if he goes too far the other end, it becomes a spikely picture. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, because I've got the, the chart here, the Wikipedia chart, right, for director, writer, producer for Spike mm-hmm. Lee. Um, and I thought Inside you were Man. the joint scale. I was like, did you find this? Well, Wikipedia no, I didn't have the joint scale. But like Inside Man or other film, yeah. he's only the director, right? He's mm-hmm. the writer or the producer. Like you said, not, this is the treatment, right? This is yeah, yeah. fully written. It's him as but like man, an interpreter of the work, like not obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for almost everything else here, he is all three of these things. Mm. Is he yeah, also what... for Black Klansman? Because that throws me off. Yes. I, I mean, I, okay, but I know it's. I mean, obviously, it's <laughs> right. an. It's more of an adaptation because it's based on real things and it's based on the book that the sheriff wrote. So yeah. it's interesting. But I know he still wrote the screenplay. I guess, right. but. Huh. That's interesting. I'm not going to tell Spike Lee that I don't count it as a joint. Yeah, if he like... counts it as a joint, then that's fine. <laughs> All respect to just... Mister <laughs> Lee. However. <laughs> I'll catch you at the next Knicks game and I'll tell you myself, <laughs> this one is not a joint. <laughs> no, it's you a should joint. Bring a, you should bring 25th hour to one of these because I want to see that again. I want to stuff to watch that again. That one's okay. so... <laughs> we'll see, we'll right. see what's next in the... Yeah, okay. we'll see what's next <laughs> in the rotation. Out of here, Scott. I, yeah, sorry. I was reading That's good. Listeners, that's how I'm going to put the fucking music in here, the <laughs> elevator music version. It's going to uh, be. <laughs> but yes, I'm excited for another Spike Lee movie and for a proper Spike Lee, yeah. as it were. Right there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I may have to touch base on our Inside Man episode just to you know, draw some connections, right? Yeah, for sure. Thank yeah. you, Tim for bringing us waking life you're welcome yes truly <laughs> seriously thank you thank you joel and zeke for joining me as always and listeners of course thank you for your time have a good night and go have a deep conversation with somebody <laughs> bye bye sweet dreams movie mumble comes to you from nerds visit nerds for all things movie mumble movie mumble is hosted by scott murray joel lewis tim gerard and zeke perez the Movie Mumble theme song and all its variations were composed by Tim Gerard. 
The situational recommendation theme was composed by Joel Lewis, Scott Murray, and Tim Gerard, reluctantly. This episode of the Movie Mumble Podcast was edited by Joel Lewis.